We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Rediscovery, a dwarf cast brought to you by Ganymede and Titan in which we revisit and re-review the Red Dwarf DVDs in order and now series 3. I'm Ian Symes and joining me as always is Jonathan Capps. Hi. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And in a bit we're going to be commentating on one of the features of this disc but in the meantime we're just going to have a bit of preamble about the disc in general memories of the time november 2003 oh i feel like we need like a, a magazine style like yeah i've not prepared anything like probably <laughs> craig david was in the charts <laughs> if i was to guess <laughs> actually it might have been the bit oh no it wouldn't have been the lead up to christmas number one yet because of the extra we're going to watch i think my most abiding memory of the sort of 2002-2003 era is when i decided to jump in headfirst to Red Door fandom and actually mm. kind of start going to conventions and things like that. I discovered friends. Oh, <laughs> friends. Um, yeah, same. I mean, this is it. This is like my first DJ. Ian's first DJ was 2003. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your first DJ was 2002, I think, at the same place. Yeah, it was the one before. <coughs> did two um, of them were done commentary, and that was the second one was the one that Hattie went to. They did yeah. the diary for. The, the, our modern era, I think, begins here, right? So, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird. It's kind of hard to differentiate all the dimension jumps because they're all with the same people, and it's yeah. <laughs> roughly the same experience. In as much as you know, they're all as good as each other. So it's really hard to differentiate which one specifically happened at which event. But it kind of yeah, like I said, it starts here. This yeah. is when our version of the, I'll, I'll say, web ring. <laughs> No one's heard the word Webbering for about 25 years, <laughs> but I'm going to say it. Of like GT, uh, Whitehall was up and running at this point. Fuchsal, yeah. Sebs was up and running. Garbage World. Garbage, yeah, Garbage World, I think. Um, yeah. And we were kind of chatting to each other, probably for the first time around this release as well, because yeah. it was after DJ t- 2003 that GT launched, and I don't think it I was, was very far behind on mine. Well, Brief history lesson. Uh, it was at DJ 2003 that GNT relaunched uh, with me and John. How could I have forgotten? Uh, the original version, which was just me, was September the year before. But yeah, I do remember very vividly that Whitehall was up and running and that we were very much friendly, but rivals, rivals at, yeah. <laughs> at the time. Because I, for the first time, bowed to the new glorious Play.com future. <laughs> <laughs> and pre-ordered, <laughs> pre-ordered my DVD rather than going. I think I re- I seem to remember like still being a bit scared that it wouldn't turn up, but having a spare twenty quid in case it didn't turn up, that so I could just go out on Monday morning as usual. Oh, but that would arrived... have stung, though, wouldn't it? Well, I would have stung forty yeah, quid. But yeah. it did arrive on the Saturday, and um, I got my review out on the Sunday, which. I like before the DVD was actually officially released on the Monday, which now I would consider bad form to put out that detailed a review before it's actually in the shop. But at the time, I had to beat Capsi. There was no question about it. It had to be done. Ian only lost that race twice. 
Well, we'll get to that later on. We'll get to those in future podcasts. <laughs> my, I mean, my reviews had the advantage of being incredibly low quality, so <laughs> I, I definitely had like a head start there. But yeah, I published. I look back at the dates. I published mine on the second of November, eh, the day before release, and it narrowly pipped yours, which was published on the first of December. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't so... even playing the game at that point. Um, it turned out there was no rush. Yeah, I. I think ethics-wise. I mean, review embargoes ha- happen all the time with media stuff. It's like reviews come out a couple of days before the public mm. get hold of things. Like, I think that's okay. It would be okay if it was arranged. Yeah, yeah, yeah if it, it was a proper know, embargo. It feels slightly like mm. cheating. Yeah. I mean, what I did for future ones often was write it all and just wait until the Monday to publish it. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is the best way around. Yeah. No complaints, though. Did you get any complaints? From any particular DVD producers that might have <laughs> had some sort of stomach issues. Not that I recall. No, okay. Right, well, there you go. It probably was fine then. So this is like phase two of the Red yeah. Dwarf DVD cinematic universe. <laughs> Which Fresh commission, fresh budget for three and four to be done in a block. And you can kind of fucking tell, can't you? I mean, like, almost like the series. Yeah. I found out to my cost when re-watching uh, the DVD in preparation for today and only allowing the same amount of time that I allowed to watch all the Series 1 and 2 extras. <laughs> I was still at it past midnight last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a lot on there. There is. The, um, the documentary is the, the big thing to talk about here because we've been yeah. upgraded from roughly 20 to 30 minutes to one hour 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And you can even tell, even at that running time, that almost things had to get wrapped up quickly because you've got these huge blocks for, for backwards and marooned. At least it feels this way watching it and then the rest of the episodes kind of get progressively quicker and you get a few kind of like sudden stops in a particular line. You can just imagine Andrew would have been like, if only I could have made this two and a half hours. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when I was watching it, when we went on to Body Swap, so halfway through the episodes, I glanced at the running time and there was only 20 minutes left. So, like, the first hour is... There's a fair amount of non-episode-specific, like, general series chat at the start. She's always the best bit. I mean, Backwards had some of the best anecdotes were in the Backwards section. Like, Mike Agnew <laughs> wanting to punch <laughs> Craig Charles yeah. and having to be restrained by Ed By. <laughs> I like how a lot of the anecdotes basically is just like, oh, you know, back then you did more work. I'm, I'm sure that it was true as well, but like Mike Agnew said, oh, back then, you know, my job was <laughs> all these different jobs that you'd have now, you know, about four or five people doing it. So I was really stressed. And then you got, <laughs> you got Ed saying, like, Ed's catchphrase may as well be, of course, nowadays it's a piece of cake. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a theme of the quarantine quad, yeah. as well, <laughs> Ed pointing out how difficult how his diffi- job was. Yeah. It was such difficult, such a Which... difficult job. Which luckily is always wrapped up in such great anecdotes that it's yeah. um, <laughs> incredibly endearing. Did you notice in the general section, general series, like this is maybe the first time that, I've, that we've encountered nailer gaze in these uh, documentaries, and that Paul Jackson gets a fucking hammering. Yeah, as much of a hammering was... as he's gonna, uh, you know, as you. <laughs> it was <laughs> interesting to note from a modern perspective where we know. <laughs> That there's been tension in recent years. Yeah, maybe that tension <laughs> stretches back to 2003. But like, yeah, like. But the majority of it came from Craig. Yeah, yeah. which was interesting, mm-hmm. and you can understand why. Is Craig? <laughs> Craig said it himself 
that you know he was difficult to handle is difficult to work with he kept on wandering off yeah <laughs> like take stealing cars stealing cars the production <laughs> and going on a joyride with Danny through Moss Side or whatever it was or being uh, like yeah a bit like missing planes all the time going you know Go, yeah. Missing planes, having bullets in your hat in an airport. Yeah. It was a different time. Yeah. But no, yeah, he, well, he said that, yeah, it was, he could see that he caused problems for Paul and he understood why Paul was angry at him a lot of the time. But he also said, when they were talking about the, how Paul's role changed and he took a step back, he just said, he straight up says that was no bad thing. Yeah. He's like, I think Craig was a lot happier with Paul not being involved. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe like the reasons for Paul getting angry were all there and all legit, but maybe his his methods were starting to be a bit of a thing of the past. I don't know. Like maybe, maybe you know, I can imagine quite easily that he you know went too far because you know you hear those stories about producers. It was not a unsnapped pencil. <laughs> Manchester area. So not an unsnapped fibula in the room. <laughs> it was not an unripped T-shirt. But interestingly, Doug, I think. Yeah, overall, that that section being there is maybe there. Is, it's like it's overall negative about Paul, mm. but Doug's interview fulfills the telling the other side of the story aspect and sort of playing devil's advocate and saying yes, Paul was <laughs> a disciplinarian, but that's what they bloody needed because yeah, the state yeah. of Craig and Danny in nineteen eighty nine needed discipline. Yeah. It's interesting as well how Chris mentions the Hacienda days. Yeah. Almost sounds like he was involved to some degree as well, but just like maybe it's just not talked about as much because he probably clocked out at about 1am or something and went, yeah. went back to the hotel, you know. <laughs> Got in some last minute revision. <laughs> exactly. But no, he was definitely part of it. And But the way, just the way he talks about it is different from everyone else. He's very much like Chris Barry's interviews are much like a footballer's interviews in that he's, he's kind of having to toe the line. Yeah. <laughs> To an extent, so Danny and Craig are talking about all these wild times we had and getting hammered and drinking and blah blah blah. And Chris pops up and says, "It, it was a uh, it was a good team building exercise. Yeah, it was good for the morale. Yeah, it was good. Uh, at the end of the day, <laughs> one team, one dream." <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Chris does come across very well. He's he's got a lot of nice things to say about everyone. as Chris, and it seems quite genuine as well. There's a a great bit right at the end where they're all talking about Robert and Hattie joining the team and how it, you know they fitted right in, but in particular talking about Robert, yeah, is in such effusive terms, like really being sincerely kind about <laughs> about Robert and his performance and how good he was. Mm. It made me think like, was Robert ill in 2003 and we didn't know? <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> they were just because it's just bets. like not that it's you know it's true that Robert is brilliant as Crichton and all the things they were saying were correct. You just don't expect to hear it from them. They're more likely to take the piss out of each other than they are to say something actually sincere. Mm, true. Yeah. Yeah. I guess this is like you, you tend to like, this kind of starts the trend really because of hearing things in two different contexts on the same DVD. So you'll hear the stories in the documentary mm. and you'll also hear the stories on the commentaries and the commentary version's always very raucous <laughs> and exaggerated. Yeah. But then you do get that I like, kind of like the, the documentary version as well. Um, and I think Chris definitely suits the, yeah, telling the stories on the, on the documentary because he just, ha- just tend to get a little bit drowned out in the commentaries. Yeah. <clears throat> 
and you've got Robert's sound effects as well in the documentary every oh. time he <laughs> I want to do a hypercut of all of Robert's noises that he does on documentaries and in the show because there's a lot to play with his snake impression is second to none <laughs> God, I got kicked out of a primary school once for my snake impression <laughs> <laughs> like thin blue lines do you want to see my elephant impression <laughs> My favourite story from the whole documentary is um, Craig Charles farting in Ronnie Corbett's face. <laughs> I really hope that's like I have half <laughs> as true. No, I can I can believe it's in Acton, right? So it's the Acton rehearsal. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's exactly where they were rehearsing two Ronnies and all the rest of it. So it totally right. makes sense. Yeah. But they're getting off. They're getting off like three getting floors off early. The second floor. Yeah. And walking. I wonder where his haunt was in London. I guess he must have. Well, they must the have all lived in London. Yeah, they would have all lived in London, right? Oh, what yeah. they've done, yeah. No, Craig definitely had a... I can't remember where it was. There was a programme on ITV... Oh, fuck. I know exactly what you mean. Of, yeah. like, Craig revisiting all the houses that he lived in. That was lovely. That was a really nice programme. He did have a, a big, big old place in London. Link in the show notes? Uh, Doug said that Acton was a pain in the ass to get to, and that's just... Depends on your perspective. I live in Ealing. It's very so easy. easy. To so, especially now, like, did had Doug? Ride. Did Doug not know about Crossrail? <laughs> no, the Elizabeth line was not open uh, in either 1989 or when this documentary so, was made. I guess the closest station would be Acton Mainline, right, to the old rehearsal. Uh, no, it was on. It was on the Central Line. I was on the Central. Oh, was, right, um, right, right, right. North Acton. That makes sense when you go to the North Acton rehearsal rooms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as we seem to be talking about the documentary, for the second dwarf cast in a row, we've got um, the erasure of uh, Rocky Marshall from the history of uh, Stabbuk. Yes. It's, it's Peter Rag talking about him. The lads. Not, the just boys. not using any names, but <laughs> specifically not even remotely acknowledging that it was Rocky Marshall that did the design that Robin Doug loved and, yeah. and called Starbuck. Almost making it, Almost making it sound like Rocky was the one that, that did. I mean, I'm sure he. I'm sure he did do a lot of the design stuff on there. But like, you know, obviously the initial. Yeah. Well, elsewhere on the DVD in the photo gallery, there are all the uh, sort of design drawings and the technical drawings yeah. for Starbucks are there, and they're signed by Rocky Marshall. Yeah. Get back. I think it's just. Drawings. I mean, we talked about this in exactly the last dwarf cast of, like, in the at the time the head of department was the one that was credited and the one that would be deemed responsible for everything so it's just that sort of slightly old school way of talking about it but I did yeah, I did. it does make me wonder because Mike Tucker got involved in the documentaries and, and other bits of the DVD production from series 5 onwards so mm. the next batch after this and I wonder whether Mike was sort of watching this at home thinking, uh, hang on a minute. Yeah, can we <laughs> like, broaden yeah. the scope and a little bit? Mike, Mike was always it, on the DVDs and at DJ and anytime Mike talks about his work it's all, he's always talking about the team and mm-hmm. making sure that everyone gets the appropriate nods and the appropriate credits for things so yeah Mike there sort of redresses the balance a little it's still an attitude that, that exists in the tech world quite a lot where you, you know you still have these auteurs or like you know I guess it's CEOs for the big companies such as he yeah. that I will not name and then you know, for games, you have the authors, you have the, the people whose names are underneath the game, basically. You, you know. Peter Molyneux yeah. and... You know. Yeah. Hideo Kojima's. Hideo yeah. Kojima is the, the 
biggest <laughs> possible example, I would say, yeah. Because I was about to say, like, Sid Meier, and I was like, this is actually not very modern, these examples. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but you, you do, you kind of get it with, like, God of War. Anyone who's vaguely interested in games, no, Corey Barlog, he's, he's, the, he's the new God of War guy. He's the, you know... Um, the new guy that did the Doom games as well, uh, Hugo Martin. Like, but you know, there's teams of hundreds, if not mm. thousands, of people <laughs> working yeah. on these games. But the temptation to focus in on an author um, is understandable, I think. Especially when, like, you know, you've got the BBC departments, right? And it would be odd if individual lighting operators were singled out for praise, like, the, you know, the person that was dealing with lighting Robert. <laughs> Yeah, but but then it's different with vis effects, isn't it? There's a more creative bent to it that puts them closer to the actors, you know. In the magazine interview, it talks about how everyone had a ground knowledge of everything, but everyone had their specialities, and that's what it was. It's mm. like these things got divvied up. It's like, oh, Alan, you come up with designs for this white midget thing, while Mike, you crack on with this, and I'll build the polymorph and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But interestingly, possibly interestingly. We'll be the judge of that. I had sort of uh, getting a job training <laughs> thing. I can't remember what it's called. When I got made redundant from one of my previous jobs, part of it was there for me training. It was like, you know, polishing your CV and, and interview tips and things like that. Uh, as part of it, we did sort of practice interview questions. It's like the mafia teaching you how to swim before they push you off a pier. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> And the feedback that I got whenever I did my interview questions was that I kept on saying we did this, where I should be saying I did this, or I led the team that did this. So I wonder if if that's part of when you're embedded in the TV industry for so long, a survival tip is to not like lie, but to guide people to to believing that the credit lies at your feet when it's Mm. you know when it's actually a team of people. And that's the difference between having presumably having like a a stable like company job which was much more common in that era of bbc and even the big you know itv companies Mm. whereas now it's aggressively freelance isn't it everything so you have to you have to just be looking after yourself because you're jumping from one place to another yeah gig economy yeah gig economy it's brilliant obviously They talk a fair bit about Mel Bibby here, but I feel like all that stuff deserves to be talked about separately when we talk about um, his featurette. Yeah. But I do just have a note that Mel Bibby is a genius. And it's it's one of those things that yeah, kind of sometimes escapes my mind. And then like, I watch things like this where they just talk about the amount of things he revolutionised in the show. And you're just like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. He basically invented the look of a like, you know, the, the whole vibe of a dwarf, really. Yeah, which has stayed beyond yep. his tenure slash life <laughs> like yes. it's, it, it was, has never needed to be radically reinvented in the Dave era it's like it's just an evolution of his work yep. my other note my favourite line from the whole documentary is from Gordon Kennedy uh, who's a great addition oh. uh, just turning up at the end he said the cast were very happy on a daily basis just not to be Robert <laughs> Except for Roberts, because he was Robert. <laughs> if you ever felt bad about yourself, just look over at this this figure, <laughs> try, trying to carefully eat something <laughs> for twenty minutes. Uh, Gordon Kennedy is possibly the star of this whole documentary. He's just like he's just lovely man coming in with yeah. like really grateful and happy to have been part of the show. Like 
oh, you know what is this getting on 15 years after the fact and mm. yeah just Gordon Kennedy is another one of those people I'm just like oh yeah I forgot how much I love Gordon Kennedy he's just great and now he's Rob Grant's de facto radio producer oh is he now yeah ne- uh, Nether Regions and Quanda Horn produced by wow. Gordon Kennedy the Gordon Kennedy future Red Dwarf producer how about that quite possibly <laughs> If it goes down the animation or audio route. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be lovely. And then Hudson can make a cameo. Not interesting. So he's like, he's not he's not he's not particularly interested in performing. I'm assuming. He does do performing still because a the absolutely uh, radio show is a thing. Uh, not for the last few years, but it has been a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I did four series of that. In the end. Jesus fucking Christ! Um, I'm out of touch. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's very good. I bet it yeah, is. <laughs> he, and he produces that, <laughs> and it, obviously he's in it. And he's also in Richard Herring's um, sitcom that is not at all based on his own life. That I can't remember the name. I of. My ball back. No. You can choose. No, you, it's you can choose your friends. Was the TV pilot from that Yonks this ago. is? Right. Yeah, that this is a re version of. The re-brand, it, you What's the fucking name of it? Oh, I don't fucking know. Relativity. Well, he plays Richard Herring's brother-in-law. Okay. Yeah, anyway, fair play to him. <laughs> fair play to the lad. Fair play to the lad. Um, I, I've got a bit of a bugbear with Doug. A dug bear, if you if you a will. Bear. Um, oh, it's it's more of just a general thing. It's like there's, and I think it's an older attitude, but there's this attitude of a brief history of time being this impenetrable thing, despite the fact that the entire point of this book is to be as accessible as humanly possible, and it succeeds at being very accessible. Doug here mentions, oh, you know, tried to get through a brief history of time, oh, couldn't make it past the first book, you know, and that's why we, you know, got the idea from the the big crunch from. I just, I just want to say, look, it's a really good book and it's not at all impenetrable and everyone should read it because it's really, really amazing. There's a great story at the start of it about an old lady. It's curious because like, the kind of dates it a bit as well because like the big crunch and all that, that is almost completely um, chucked out these days. It's just it's not, yeah. it's not a working theory. No one really is stumping for it. I don't know particularly what's replaced it, but it's just like it apparently doesn't seem very likely. I'm not entirely sure why. One thing is for certain is if time did start going backwards, all the text would still be the correct way around. <laughs> and it says that in the book. Yeah, and all logic <laughs> would still be the same logic, just happening backwards. But when you do it on one inch videotape, it's it's much more difficult. Oh, it's much, yeah, that's it. These days, you know, it's a piece of cake. Um, and then, yeah, later on about polymorph, it was like, well, these days you could composite three three shots together <laughs> yeah. live. But we all, we had to do it, what was it, in the gallery. And to be fair, yeah. it's an amazing... Yeah, it's, it's good to remind yourself of things like that every now and then. Yeah. It's good to hear those documentaries because those stories in the documentaries about the technical aspect of it, because you just take it for granted. Like, we were kids when we first saw it. And the whole point of a good visual effect is that you're it's not meant to make you... Th- notice yeah. that it's a visual effect it's meant to just feel like part of the normal narrative yeah. so it's it's good to remind yourself yeah. what an achievement things like that is and they did barely even spoke about time slides and how difficult the tracking shot in time slides yeah was. it was and almost like it was like just skimmed past it was almost comical that, wasn't it oh yeah, yeah the tracking shot didn't even get touched up but like the whole like oh something about you said what did, what did he say you set up a rig 
they set up a map. Oh, I can't remember what he said. But basically just explained <laughs> how they did the time slides thing in a couple of seconds and then showed that incredible shot of Craig walking into the wedding photograph yeah. and tripping in, which is just a gobsmacking yeah. <laughs> um, shot. And it's like, yeah, it's like you, you, you can see why Ed's really pleased <laughs> with the work he did. Because, yeah. If I'd done that in one episode, never mind the entire series has some special fuckery going on with you know visual <laughs> effects i mean even to the extent of where the deleted scenes has visual effects in it that were not finalized mm. obviously yeah. just because it was done on on in camera at the time sort of thing so, I, yeah. I don't even know how a lot of that stuff was done like i they they were talking about the um the lightning bolts in the polymorph bit with the little blue the ones that i replaced with hexagons for the glossbusters yeah but I don't know how you did that. I don't know if it's computer or if it, I don't know how they've like how you make an object move that smoothly in 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 shot. Mm. I don't know how you. I don't even know how the hell you even do that. Must have been a little bit of computer. I mean, you can't imagine anything but a computer generating. It's very weird. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is it? What element is it? The views like have the have the you know? I just don't know how they do something like that um, back then. But it's, it's crazy. It's the kind of stuff we'd like to ask Ed. So there you go. There you go. You heard point. it first. Ed Bai hasn't actually bragged enough about his job, <laughs> yeah. um, which is quite There's still fun. more bragging yeah. to be done. Something that gave me a headache and always gives me a headache whenever I hear about it is body swap. Um, like what the the hoops that to jump through for body swap. And every time I just think, why didn't you fucking just let them do an impression of each other and call it a day? <laughs> yeah. And. <laughs> That's kind of fair to an extent, but then later on, we'll talk about the deleted scenes. You can start to hear like, oh, that's that's why they didn't do it, because <laughs> it's not particularly very good when they're doing it. If, it. Like a whole episode of them doing impressions of each other would really start to be quite annoying and um, stupid. But like the, the rigmarole they had to go through with body swaps, almost worse sounding than backwards, you know. Mm. I always forget about the takes they had to do of Craig and Chris not saying anything. Everyone else doing their lines just yeah. so they can get the... So they've got a clean thing to dub onto afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking crazy. So everything that involved body swapping was shot twice, basically. Yeah. 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 And... Madness. Which I guess is made easier slightly by not having an audience, but it's not made easy, if you see what I mean. It's, yeah. It doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it's... Oh, that's the reason you don't have the audience. I don't know. Just, just it, I always just keep thinking, like, was it was it worth it? <laughs> I listened yesterday to a really good Mitchell and Webb sketch from their radio series that goes on a tour of the Doctor Who set. And so I never realised how many people are involved and like the effort that you go to. It's absolutely incredible, but. You've got to ask, is it worth it? Because, like, it's good. Don't get me wrong. I really like Doctor Who, but this number of people and the cost and, like, is it worth it? Like, compare it to a pizza. A pizza takes one person 15 minutes to make and it is at least as good as an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> it's the sort of sketch that only, only really someone who likes Doctor Who can do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just remembered another bit of the documentary which really endeared me to Ed Bai <laughs> how he shot backwards was I went around with my little DV 
Well, it probably wouldn't have been with a DV. It was probably a high eight. A high eight. Some <laughs> shape like that. It's, it's, mm. it's such like, the, um, derision. That's the, the movie Yano Yano was shot on DV, right? Yeah. And the behind the scenes that I did was shot on high eight because yeah. of my stepdad's old camcorder. <laughs> Ed Bye so was so what sniffy like about. <laughs> fucking hand cranking it and throwing coal into <laughs> every four seconds. Do you want it? <laughs> the thing that came out the high resolution of the two, I think. I think we should commentate on something. I think that's a good idea. With this series, we are selecting one thing per DVD to commentate on, and we're trying to go for a mix so that we're covering every type of extra content over the course of the series. We've already done Backwards Forwards <laughs> about ten years ago, mm-hmm. which I can barely remember doing. Yeah, thank <laughs> Christ we don't have to do that again. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I did it. I didn't watch that as part of the um <laughs> part of the research. We'll take that one as read. This time around we're going to do Hattie's DJ Diary because we figured that we'd have interesting things to say about that. It's it's only nine minutes. Um, which I'd forgotten <laughs> when we decided to do it. But nevertheless. Should we maybe explain what Hattie's DJ Diary is before we start watching it because I reckon by the time we've explained it it'll have been <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's yeah, true that is a very good point so for those who don't know and just to set it up this was filmed by Hattie at uh, Dimension Jump in 2003 as aforementioned mine and Capsie's first DJ and Danny's second mm-hmm. although none of us knew each other at the time so we went there separately I was there with Danny <laughs> oh were you? yeah no, no, well, I didn't fucking know. We'll get to this, but I remember seeing you harass Andrew. All right, I, I didn't know who you were at the time, but I remember that. Yeah, um, but yeah, throughout that whole thing, Hattie was milling about with a little DV camcorder. Yeah, the result was nine minutes of footage, which we're going to commentate on now. So, if you want to watch along while you listen, then get your DVD out put in disc two and if you can get the menu to work uh, <laughs> hit play on Hattie's DJ diary after these bips there ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace www.ganymede.tv right Hattie's DJ diary <laughs> oh, setting up a skit for later. Sort your backlight out. I do like the way that this is edited. Oh, there's Sharon. I do like oh, the way it's that it's edited. It's like <laughs> it's so easy to get those two dudes mixed up. It's not a linear um, story of the weekend. It's just dotted about different bits and bobs. Yeah. I don't remember that bloody swimming pool being there. Uh, it must have been in some sort of VIP area. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't have access to the gymnasium. This is my favourite part of the hotel, where the piano is. It's been locked. James, yeah. I think that was James uh, in the background. Uh, this is the first DJ or the last DJ before James became chairman. Back of my head. <laughs> Lucky bastards! I haven't even got that in there. Well, I've got in my review. It says that you can see me in the background at one point, but I didn't spot myself when I watched this back. Look at how young Robert is. Oh, that's crazy. young Robert is. And his excellent jacket. Chris Barry Cadder looks identical. Yeah, it was either Jen or Kaz in the uh, background. Yeah. Uh, now, Danny in his Milton Wordsworth face. I was going to say, oh, was sure, he doing yeah. Storymakers at this point? Yeah. Right, okay, that makes he was, sense. Yeah. Because at the end of this DJ, my dad came to pick me up because he was only down the road. 
uh, and he brought my niece with him and uh, she came out uh, and Thanks. they came and met me in reception and uh, there there was Danny in, and like she went Milton Wordsworth <laughs> uh, yeah we talked over James Bull being interviewed yeah with his no, um, with his uh, 2003 frosted tips <laughs> frosted tips and Alistair <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of this I've probably still got the footage of this somewhere on a DV tape because I remember yeah, filming oh, all of this stuff and trying to get every trying to just capture every every bit of the yeah. event as it happened you kind of get complacent the more DJs you go to like even taken out of the equation the fact that we worked on so many of them but even as a fan like I remember that anecdote about Chris working in Harrods so vividly I yes. remember him doing it whereas like all the other Q&A's blend into one but in the early days you remember this is this poor lad <laughs> what do you arguably a better punchline than anything in series 8 <laughs> Uh, similar to one in series ten. <laughs> yes. I this is fascinating. The liberal thing because I thought it was going to be the same as what your yeah no yeah no thing did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like how she's losing she's losing confidence with the with the polar neck at this point, and um, she's right. She, she never ever wears the polar neck again after this <laughs> yeah, DJ. Never seen her in a polar neck. Fucking yeah, Lee Collins. This was uh, this was the DJ when I got scared by Mac. This was the DJ where Max scared the shit out of me by making me think I'd acted like a complete bell end in front of him and then had like PTSD <laughs> like, for the next Max, 20 years. Max en- Max endless like campaign against your mental health. Mac wasn't there. Was he not at that one? No, he wasn't at that one. He, he was in the previous oh, one. Oh, okay. I was just trying to remember when Lee Corns was a thing. Because he, he, he did the fancy <laughs> dress as um, Wilma Flynn. I think Lee Corns did, co- did both cover. Ah, okay. That's remember. probably what it is. Maybe it's the first yeah. one. Right. What's with the sheep? I can't remember. <laughs> I think some fan was just handing out sheep to the cast. Why well, is it like that, that cunt with a hat? <laughs> that was me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do get that to the DJ, like someone brings something. For, for, for. Yeah. I remember someone gave us, <laughs> someone came to a DJ and was handing that catnip to people. But we were oh, yeah, like from a distance. Just, it like, just, just looked like the man bags of weed. Come, come over from Canada, I think. So it's like, yeah. See, I wouldn't have known what the bedrooms in that hotel looked like uh, if it wasn't <laughs> for this. I spent a total of two hours the entire weekend asleep, and the rest of it in the bar. If you were to get an AI to say, okay, uh, ask an AI, say, draw me two red dwarf fans, it <laughs> would have drawn those two. <laughs> Remember rightly, Chloe was quite nervous at this DJ because she wasn't mm. sure how she was going to get received. By yeah, it was her first rightly, one. It was bloody, it was amazing. Like Robert she having a life here. Like, <laughs> 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 um, but it, it's nice watching this and actually saying that she seemed to be really enjoying herself because oh, yeah. we weren't particularly sure at the time like whether she. And what what kind of struck me as well was I just kind of thought that like the cast would be like. Until like the Q and A's, they just be invisible and just would not be mm. at all like accessible to people. But obviously, that's down to them. If they want to be out and about, they would be out and about. Um, yeah, yeah. But it was just it kind of struck me how open this hole was. Mm. 
You know, I think you got Hattie to thank for that because she's just mm. she's just wandering about talking, making friends with everyone, and yeah. I think the other cast members um, follow that lead. To be honest, as uh, Jane's yeah. ass. <laughs> right, it's always bugged oh, me, yeah, but like, why does why does Norman look like he's wearing sunglasses <laughs> or he like a robber's mask? <laughs> is he? Yeah. yeah. When did he he's fucking have sun- sunglasses on? It's from the tongue-tied Tinkaboo. video. Oh yes, not of the, course. Not parallel the parallel universe from the, from the 1993 Danny John Jules tongue-tied video. I will say rather cruelly though that the only the only tattoo doesn't look like they are, the who they are is Chloe and Annette. Does not look like Chloe and Annette mm. in that tattoo. But everything else, I mean, they they are pretty fucking good tattoos. Crichton, for, Crichton's so. especially is a bit. Oh, you got your sheep. Is that? Oh, there's Alan Brennan in the background. No, it's not. It's just a bold man. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Uh, it, Mike was at that one. I remember Mike being there, but I think only Mike. Yeah. Visual effects wise, and then the rest of the gang started turning up after that. Yeah. So this is someone else who later went on to be a member of the fan club team, and a uh, member and of UKIP, later, a member of BMP, later not a member of the fan club team <laughs> due to certain incidents. Yeah, now a, a prospective UKIP councillor, though I don't think he's ever been elected. Oh, oh yeah, I said BMP he was actually part of the, the Brexit party, so essentially the same thing. He's a cunt. He's a really horrible cunt. Paul Gannon is a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't sure whether or not we were going to address it or not, but we have to really. The, the rest of this, if we good, say it like enough, Danny the, can't cut us costumes. out. Is that that? Uh, no, it's not. I, I no. was going to. I was. I was about to say, is that one of the Czech fans? But that's from no, a few years later. That was a few years later when he did a really ridiculous. One was absolutely spot on. Yeah. These Nazi. days, you'd uh, you'd get cancelled dressing as a Nazi. <laughs> I remember this feeling quite awkward that Hattie was going around interviewing people from a series that she didn't was never part yeah. of. <laughs> like, oh, you don't know what this is. Well, same with Blue Midget. She never, she was never in a series of Blue the Midget. The Blue What? The Blue What? <laughs> Fucking... Was I in this show? Sorry. James Bull again. Gone as James um, Bull. <laughs> he's, he was wearing for his costume an authentic prop store-bought costume. He was disqualified, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he, not, like, officially, but... Like, I mean, he, he was the incoming chairman as well. <laughs> like, yeah, that's very accurate. It's almost as if you've spent thousands on it from the prop store. But the um Henry Hoover. I shy. Yeah, DJ manuals haven't changed in ever. I I bought that book at that DJ. Mm. It's a good book. Random access memory. If you want to hear more about the cocktail dress um first day of <laughs> rehearsals, it's, yeah, I think that's all in there. The hat is just lovely. She is the best of them. <laughs> Robert giving an almighty yawn there after signing <laughs> books for 17,000 hours. I do remember it was a long old queue, that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then we end with Patty <laughs> naked. <laughs> naked in the shower. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you didn't. I think it works as an ad, right, for mm-hmm. for DJ. Yeah. I think yeah. like, obviously it's hard for us to tell because we'd already been, but we, like that would make you want to go if you hadn't already gone. Just seen so. them all milling about. And... I mean, this whole DVD package as a whole makes me 
nostalgic for a time, and this is, might sound like complaining about Diamond Shoes being too tight. It makes me nostalgic for a time when the cast were on a pedestal, like they were this untouchable abstract thing to me mm, that yeah. were they were superstars and it's partly like having got to work at DJ over the years and stuff and having interviewed them and met them so many times but part of it is because there was no social media so like we've got no end of Robert Llewellyn's <laughs> rantings and Tanny John Jules's deranged <laughs> deranged, deranged brand of correctness <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> very odd yeah. thing reading Danny's Twitter feed uh, it's like yeah right on what the fuck are you on about <laughs> yeah, I agree but I'm not sure why <laughs> but yeah this represents like the DVDs and those early DJs were a rare chance at seeing what they were like and sort of getting a hint of the chemistry. And also that I'd never seen an episode recorded, so watching them talk about what they how they recorded episodes was the closest that I was going to get at this stage, it mm-hmm. seemed. Because yeah. if Red Dwarf did have a future in 2003, we'd have assumed it was movies... Oh, we were convinced. We were absolutely convinced. When was the letter from Doug read out? Because that was that the same DJ that Craig came back. Two. It would have been the no. It would have been 2004 Bedford. So it was only the Uh, next DJ when that happened, right? Yeah, the next DJ along was the Duke of Manchester letter because we spoofed the Duke of Manchester thing a year after that. First series seven, of course. See that turnaround? We're like Matt Parker (laughs) and Trey Stone. That's what their names are. (laughs) Like lightning. (laughs) Like lightning. We just we were on it. (laughs) <laughs> like Tom O'Connor. <laughs> I think Bedford might be low-key my favourite DJ, mainly because of the guy who pissed himself on the stairs. <laughs> favourite is an attendee, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. But both of the, like, the Coventry, <clears throat> in the Coventry, <laughs> it was my first time meeting any of the cast or doing anything Red Dwarf fan-related, the first time, really, that I'd met people off the internet. Yeah. Even though it wasn't you two, it was other people off the internet, yeah, uh, yeah. BTLI people. I was 16, I had about an hour and a half, two hours sleep over the whole weekend and was fine. Like I remember going into college on the Monday and being fine because I was 16. Jesus. Getting hammered. Because Hattie went around, this is something that we all assumed was going to be a key part of Hattie's DJ diary. On the Saturday night, she went around to absolutely everyone that she could find, like the whole hotel, every single part, every single person. And got them to say Smegtastic down the camera. Oh, yeah. And so we, everyone was eagerly awaiting this yeah, Smegtastic moment. Yeah. yeah, and not, none of it used. Uh, uh, but I'm, yeah. Um, I'm a tight eight minutes. Think... Good. <laughs> it ended up being yeah. good. My most abiding memory of DJ 2003 is when, because that was the year we got onto the golf course that was opposite the hotel. And yeah, yeah. Floor. that was when my my brother um, sustained a, a a knee injury that was still to, to, up to a couple to of years day, ago was still bothering him. I mean, Danny thinks it's his fault for some reason. <laughs> I insist that it being my fault. <laughs> but we were pissed, and I tell you why we were pissed. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was going around talking about how he's rich and he earns loads of money and buying everyone Jack Daniels and Red Bulls the whole night. Like, I had about five of him. And he was doing that with a lot of people. And I cannot remember who, who that guy was at all. <laughs> you don't remember him at all, Ian, do you? I don't think you no. encountered him. You were probably too drunk already. But like, yeah, that... I spent the entire weekend as much as possible in the evenings outside of the events um, licking Andrew Ellard's bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and so my socialising was pretty much me 
Andrew, people like Carl, very like yeah. not exclusively us, but the constant was Andrew and Steve Rogers, the former fan club chairman and Universe Challenge uh, team captain. I remember it being incredibly sunny, like sat out on the grass verge. Like it, oh, was, yeah. it was one of those just nice hotels that we never really got again. It's a shame because it was. It, the, I remember the atrium was absolutely fucking massive. Like yeah. it was just one of them places. Mm. You saw a lot you, in that video. Yeah, you, you, yeah, that was one of the main places people would be. But there's like there was tons of seating you could get around. There was tons of places to go. I remember there was a pool table right down the other end of the bar. There was loads of stuff to Big do. Bar. Yeah, and. Um, I remember that hotel was just like, wow, this is like... I mean, it's a pretty fucking good hotel. I mean, like, I think it might have been three yeah. four star, I think. You can, you can afford to be fancy when you're in Coventry because the <laughs> land must have cost them tuppence. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was on, it's not even in Coventry, really, is it? It's like it was next to the motorway on the outskirts. Yeah, the, That was the trade-off, was the fact that you were also miles and miles away from Fox <laughs> You were also in Coventry. Yeah, but, yeah, but you could nip to the shop. Like, you could... Yeah. Oh, yeah, no cash, yeah. no cash yeah, machines. Yeah, no cash machines. That machines, was a big And there was no contactless. That wasn't a thing. That wasn't <laughs> yeah. a thing then. Chip and pin wasn't a thing then. So it was all like, if you had to get money out, you had to go walk about a mile to the nearest pub that might have had a cash machine that probably charged you. I think I, I, I turned up with like a, a wad, like maybe a, like, like it shows inflation, but I think I had like 100 quid in cash or something and that did me all right. <laughs> that last you a week. Yeah. I think that in was the DJ that Carl bid for the Epideem projector Epidem that I really, thing, really, yeah. really wanted. Did he win it? I think he got it, yeah. And he uh, got thrown away. Said, <laughs> always, <laughs> yes, I remember. He dismantled it to repair it, and his mum threw it away. Yeah. My other abiding memory of this is related to Hattie's DJ diary, which was me making a complete cunt of myself in front of Hattie. When she came round on the Saturday night to get the smegtastics off people, I was hammered and bolshy and 16. And <laughs> she asked me to say smegtastic, and in response, <laughs> I replied, No! I will not say smegtastic because the word smeg is not what Red Dwarf is all about. <laughs> it's so much more subtle and character-driven and the view of the word smeg is a blight on Red Dwarf and just went on for ages and she just backed off looking worried. <laughs> Somewhere, Hattie has that footage. <laughs> I want it. Yeah, it exists. Release the rushes. I remember running into running into her, not realizing because I was running away from the golf course. Because the next morning we went back to get the balls, and the driving range was open. Yeah, and people were just firing golf balls at us. It's quite <laughs> so, rude of them, really, like firing golf panicked. balls on the driving range. I mean, it's fucking range. dangerous. Yeah, there's no way that tape exists anywhere, right? Like it was owned by GMP. Yeah. It was a good one. It was it was one of those ones, you know, it was obviously a Wilderness Years one, but... But we didn't really know it was Wilderness Years at the time. It still felt... It's true. Like I mean, it was, it was, it was it just... It felt like the movie was just around the corner. We'd just gone the longest the longest time between series, just past yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, to the point where series 8 felt like fucking a lifetime ago at that point. Well, it's all relative, because, yeah. like, a four-year gap... In a show that's um, not yet twenty years old, yeah, <laughs> it was what fifteen yeah. years old. In fact, proportionally, is a really big gap. Mm. Would you say with the favour of the DVDs that kind of spurred people to go to DJs again? Because it just felt like everything kind of started to ramp up once the DVDs were coming. Out. Yeah, I think it was for me sort of coincidental in its timing. The DVDs came out just as I was 
wanting just as I was like discovering the power of the internet really and the mm. power of community on the internet because previously I'd had the internet for a few years and I'd used sort of Yahoo Messenger and, and stuff like that. Used it mainly to talk to people that you know from school or, or work or whatever. Yeah. But it was around the time where I was discovering forums and talking to other people and, and making those connections with people. And the DVDs were coming out, which gave a shot in the arm to to Red Dwarf being something that I wanted to talk about again. And it's all just blossomed from there. Yeah, yeah the DVDs were a huge part of that because it, it did keep us going. If it wasn't for the DVD range starting and being so good and being something that was worth looking forward to twice a year... Mm. Um, if they were just bog standard DVDs, that would have been fine, and it would have, you know, probably been a commercial success. But it wouldn't have fostered the same community that grew up yeah. in the DVDs because, without the effort that was put into them, Red Dwarf would feel dead. It would feel like a retrospective, whereas this kept this kept the series alive. It kept Toss alive. It gave Toss something to talk about. Yeah, you, you know, the forums and everything was very yeah. much a, a talking point. It, it, it fueled. It kept the fire going mm. until such a point where. A, there was a bigger fan base on the internet for Red Dwarf that was sustainable, and B, the new Dave era was only just around the corner when the DVDs finished in retrospect. It's, um, and as we mentioned before as well, is that almost like the new online fandom was, was kind of on the up at this point, like old, like, mm. you know, your, 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 your legacy sites, your, na- your very much 90s ones, like Groove Town. Your Smegwebs. Your Smegwebs, your... Your um, Red Dwarf Zone. Red Dwarf, Zone. Red Dwarf Zone, was it? Red Dwarf World. Oh, Red Dwarf Zone was... Um, Drizzly Pendo. Miller, wasn't it? Pendo. Oh, yeah. Back in the Red was Drizzly Miller. Red Dwarf World, I mean. Yeah, yeah. You have the old guard of the fan club as well, which... But once they left the fan club, you know, you don't really hear from them again apart from Jane. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. there was almost like a new wave coming, and they they all gathered around the DVDs. You know, they were more focused on a slight bit of nostalgia for the early stuff rather than being there at the time. And that that was kind of like the majority of the fan base that kind of took the show forward from there, really. So the yeah. DVDs are absolutely essential to that. And the, the you know just having you say keep the fire burning, everyone was able to huddle around it. And it gave everyone sufficient warmth because there was lots of, lots of you know stuff to dig into. There was nothing healthless to burn. Shall we talk about other bonus features then? <clears throat> yes. I listened to all the commentaries. I did as well. And regretted it. <laughs> there was there's only like maybe a handful of things of note that I could yeah. glean from it. I think if you took out all the gaps. You took You'd have about an hour's worth of talking spread across three hours. <laughs> For some reason, this particular series, there's so many quiet bits where they were just watching the show. Yeah. I think that was the problem. They, they, hadn't, they hadn't watched it in advance. They were reacting to it and watching it for the first time in however many years. They got into a habit of recognising when there was a good joke coming up and going, ah, oh, this bit's brilliant, watch, watch this bit, watch this bit. But two or three minutes early, yeah. And they're like at the start of a scene that had a really good gag at the end of it. Yeah. They'd be oh, oh, everyone be quiet. Watch this. Watch this, and then have to stay quiet for a minute and a half waiting for yeah. the gag. Would it have been better if they'd all seen it beforehand? In fact, that's un- you can't. You know, you wouldn't have been able to get them to watch it beforehand and then watch it again. No, that, yeah. Well, what inevitably would happen is the fact they'll they'll say all the interesting stuff for the first time round. And not when they've been recorded. Mm. When they do it again, yeah, like, it's true. I, I can't remember what we like need to say for this bit. Well, yeah, exactly. There was a couple of things to note. There was definitely another mention of the um, the Midland Hotel and the rumour <laughs> of the unpaid bill. 
Because <laughs> I think Seems it was pretty nailed on. Oh, well, look, that's the hotel we weren't allowed to stay in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was a good line. <laughs> that's definitely got some meat in it. That it's, um, I can't remember. There was, there, was, there was a couple of bits, but it's mainly like Hattie was just like. Everyone was really kind to Hattie during the commentaries, actually, especially Craig. Like, yeah, apart from when they like forgot that she was also new in this series. We're talking about Robert. <laughs> like, oh, what was it like, Robert, coming into the fold? And then about five minutes later, it's like, oh, Hattie, what was it like? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's because she's not Norman. Because like, yeah. the role that Norman had in the first two commentaries was to be the butt of all Foil. of Danny Trunchulls' jokes. Yeah. And they probably felt, oh, let's not do that to Hattie. And so yeah, it, sort of, just don't it feels like they were being very kind, but just because we're we're used to them behaving a certain way towards Holly actors. I also think they're just, you know, I don't think they, like, I just think that Hattie's just lovely, so you don't really want to yeah. defend her. Yeah, to you don't want to take the piss out of Why her. would you? Why would you want to do that? Danny was really quiet throughout a lot of it. They even commented at one point when Danny piped up and said something at the end of an episode. Of, oh, bloody hell, where have you been? <laughs> the first episode, he introduced himself as Danny John Jules early for once, and the next episode, he's late. <laughs> yeah. He turns up about five, like two minutes in. Have you started without me, have you? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> 100% <laughs> out having a phone call. Yeah. In Backwards, during the cafe scene, they're all really taken aback by Chris's hair being big and bushy and wild and spends the entirety of the scene talking about how crazy Chris's hair was yeah. and no one could figure out why. But, and they missed the fact that it was in the plot. Yeah. <laughs> His hair is supposed to be unusual. And they just thought that, you know, the makeup lady had done it wrong or whatever. Oh, they H. even they talk they talk over the line where he's trying to hide his H. And then eventually someone I can't remember who it was, but one of them says, Look, you can't even see his H properly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, they conflate Maria Friedman with Jenna Russell. Yeah, they mix. She up. sang the theme tune. She, she sang the theme tune. I was like, "No, she fucking didn't." Yeah, no, yeah. And then there's a gap, and it's like, "Oh, actually, traps." Obviously, Andrew. Andrew's Andrew's told us. Uh, yeah, Andrew. <laughs> I like those. And then, oh, what was his? What was his name? I can't remember what his name was. His name was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just hearing my ear. Pauline Pauline Melville. That was exactly her name. Craig talks about doing the music for Time Slides some of the instant oh, time slides yeah. and not getting paid for it Skippy <laughs> <laughs> Ken becomes a bit of a running game yeah. like A he didn't get paid for the use of his music but also Howard he believes that Howard based some of the music cues from series 3 on his stuff oh right okay. uh, the... uh, it all went to it all went to paying off the hotel bill <laughs> yeah. the and, the, and all the fucking plane tickets <laughs> I can believe and... that I can believe that Howard would have like at least be influenced by the, yeah the, yeah because because that's what he that, does right that's the last yeah. day is yeah. the same thing that does have a you know there's there's a, a music cue in there that definitely feels like it's from the same flavor yeah he'll have taken the tone in the sort of and plus also the, like series three in general is a bit more guitar heavy and a bit more rocky and a bit yeah. more edgy because it fits the style they stop using so many of the um, you know horn and strings cues. Mm. <laughs> He said horn, not pawn. I was like, where did you say pawn? <laughs> to me, a French horn is basically pawn, though. <laughs> There's a bit in the marooned commentary where they're talking about bankable woofers, etc., <laughs> in the way that they do. Yeah. And 
Hattie says woofter <laughs> and she keeps repeating it in a way that Amazing. it's like she's forgotten what woofter means <laughs> and she's saying it in all innocence is it woofer or is it woofter <laughs> and it's almost one of those great old innocent person accidentally says something <laughs> Inappropriate until Craig then does. Well, Bobby walks like a woofter. <laughs> Craig, two thousand and three. Craig. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of um, Poppy O'Toole, one of the hosts of Young MasterChef. I think I can talk about this. Was recently on Saturday Kitchen live on BBC One in the early morning. Uh, was asked how she got into becoming a chef, and the story is that she sort of stumbled into it during lockdown by making videos on TikTok that were very popular. And she, she said, "I sort of went into it on a quim, really." <laughs> Do I mean quim? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Lovejoy or whoever it is. <laughs> no, no, you mean oh James Martin? No, I think you mean whim. She goes, "Yes, that's right, whim." What is a quim? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Link in the show notes because it is very, very good. The, the saladometer and the hamometer was, oh, was fuck quite fucking high. I know, I know, I know. It was at this <sighs> stage where I sort of lost interest in cast commentaries, to be honest. Series one and two, when I revisited them, they were really familiar to me because I, you know, like I said on the previous dwarf cast, I was just hooking it into my veins, all this stuff. Yeah. But by series three, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. These guys are tedious. Yeah. It'd, be yeah, nice, but, like, it'd be nice if they've had like like guest people for each episode. Yeah. If they've had like, 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 for, the... like for for backwards, and then you've got you know I mean yeah. you get a bit of a different vibe going on. But because they're all in the room for the same day, and they get tired towards the end. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. you would after you know three hours of recording. Three hours. It should have been like the lockdown <clears throat> commentaries, or at least something like that. So like you yeah, maybe have. Maybe have Andrew. Like maybe if it was done a few years later, mm-hmm. maybe Andrew would have been there as like a bit more, more a bit more of like yeah, moderator. his invisible hand being more vi- visible, and then you would mix and match. You'd have Doug for, for one, just so yeah. he doesn't have to commit to doing all of them, and like you know, get Ed in, get you know, like do it that way. That, that's often what they do for um, Doctor Who yeah, releases. Yeah. Or like the big American ones, because obviously you're only doing a few commentaries yeah yeah you don't want everyone on every episode yeah. because for them and for the listener it would get very it's just the same shit yeah. there must be people that are more probably more casual fans than us that are absolutely fine with that level of detail yeah mm. we want we always want more and like the ed and doug commentaries in on the body snatcher and the robin doug ones and Body Snatcher are always going to be the most interesting That's ones true. for us. There's two elements to it, though. I mean, because I don't mind. I don't mind being told things I already know, like really basic things. Like, as long as you know it's kind of entertaining. I think the level of the fan it's aimed at isn't so much the problem. It's more all these people not being given much structure is maybe just not mm. an enjoyable thing to listen to. And I can't imagine many people being able to to get through three hours by by the fourth or yeah. fifth episode. Yeah, it's a shame that they didn't get. Like a model maker's commentary, or you know, like, mm-hmm. well, that's something that could happen now rather than then. We'd welcome now with Pete Tyler mm-hmm. and Mike. I Tucker think you're and... probably right, like, in the context of the time where Red Dwarf was, was getting reintroduced, um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. <clears> and also, sense. from this series onwards, it's fine to have a cast commentary like that because of the documentaries. Like, that's yes. everything that we want from the disc is catered for in the documentaries when you have that much running time dedicated to it to go into that level of granular detail about certain episodes that's that ticks that box so i just sort of concluded that the cast commentaries are perhaps not for me but 
I always, I always listen to them, but I don't think I re-listen to them um, much, if at all, no. from this point onwards, because yeah. it's just like, yeah, not really for me. I think it's the big group feel of it. If they were in pairs or something, yeah, it'd be a bit more split. <laughs> yeah, split Craig and Danny up <laughs> and do them in pairs, like naughty schoolboys. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> then they wouldn't have a good time because they're like, oh, I wish Danny were here. when Craig is ill for series we'll get to this but when he's ill for series 5 I seem to remember those commentaries not it didn't go up in quality because Craig is shit and was ruining them but like the dynamic changed to the point where it was a little bit easier to it was a bit more I don't know I remember Chris was just basically impersonating Craig instead of him being there yeah five people on a commentary it's quite a lot it's not usual yeah if you had the choice and you were being a bit more sort of curate with it well and on those releases where you have multiple people doing commentaries on different episodes it's never that many people together no. two or three the only example I can give the way there's quite a lot of people on mic at the same time is the future Iron Man commentaries but there's a massive difference with those in that they're all voice actors yeah the producer on those they're probably more like panels probably like you know a little I bit I think more. so yeah yeah, yeah. like without you seeing it like a bit more directed because otherwise you would have chaos because there, there yeah. is a lot on those commentaries you're right it felt cramped like mm-hmm. there wasn't space orally for them all to fit so it would have been so it's, it's it would have been it's the five of them for each one yeah should we go down the list yeah then? we can do so we've, oh. had, we've had cast commentary we've Tick. had all change yep. deleted scenes okay the very first one yeah very <laughs> extremely interesting in hindsight the Hattie intros yeah, Hattie's intros. I see that some of these are really good, and I'm really annoyed they didn't use them. But I, but obviously, like I don't know how they'd frame it in the episode. You can see why it didn't work at all because like the new intro sequence gives you a really pacey start. You don't want you don't want crash it uh, down. You crash it down with a monologue after that. You just want to get straight into the action. Also, she's clearly reading off an auto cue yeah. and does not do so as successfully as Norman does because she she was used to learning her lines and yeah, doing it. Pro- yeah. You know properly rehearsing yeah. her lines more so than Norman ever. The main issue with this that strings spanned for me is there's a high proportion of time specific cultural references. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a million Bernie in That's not exclusive to this though, is it? Cuz No, no. It's just that you just didn't get many. So like you can probably count the amount of like those really jarring 80s references like on one hand from the first couple of series, but I think mm. the the proportion of these ones there was there was just a lot. 3 of them. or 4 of them yeah. had the the main interesting one for me was the very first one, which was a gag about um, the AA man's never going to show up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, lo and behold, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> they may not be fast, but they get there in the end. I do, yeah, I, I thought that was quite prescient. And, and the very last one, which is a joke about Ken Todd being tight, that got no laugh. <laughs> fucking hell. Because it's a, fucking, it's a laugh you'd get in the Groucho, not a laugh you're going to get in an audience sick of. <laughs> When was Ken Dodd's tax trial? It must have been around this time. Because I remember the main thing comedy-wise for Ken Dodd's tax trial was um, the Mary Whitehouse experience, the radio version. It was a running gag in that. Ken Dodd is innocent. Was that 1990? Uh, 1989 uh, was Ken Dodd's trial. So, yeah. Almost exactly when this was filmed is when. Kendall but you'd was think he would 
violent because he would have been able to like that would have been a bit of legitimate like you could write that off it's a business lunch but if (laughs) he just wasn't paying tax at all i guess he doesn't have to worry about that right (laughs) but he would have had more money to play with because he wasn't paying tax but then you know it's chicken and egg well it's not chicken and egg it's like you know you know if he's tight enough to risk his freedom to not pay tax (laughs) and he's tight enough not to buy lunch for Rob and Doug, once probably. We should point out that uh, Ken Dodd was found not guilty of all charges. Right, he's dead now. Um, but he's dead. You can't label dead. And uh, <laughs> he mainly got off by just doing comedy routines the entire time he was in court and making all the jurors fall in love with him, basically, and just being <laughs> telling silly jokes on the witness stand. <laughs> And so they're like, oh, Ken dies. Technically, he probably did it, but (laughs) listen, you know, like if if we're dealing with like you know, judge judge tax avoidance based on how funny you are, then yeah, go for it because then at least Jimmy Carr go fucking down. (laughs) The night before we recorded this was the coronation concert, and the fucking goal of Gary Barlow to show up at a taxpayer funded event. The goal of Gary Barlow. Full stop. Doctor Who and the Gall of Gary Barlow. <laughs> he's a fucking, he's a snivelling little Tory cunt, is Gary Barlow. And for those keeping count, he is a fucking Tory, right? Not just basically a Tory, or essentially a Tory. He is a Tory. I'm allowed to call him a Tory. Next on the list is. Oh no, no we're still talking no, about the scene. So. Obviously, the one that is—it would have been the sort of the crowning glory of the of the epic of that scene would have been the one that got shown on the Smegups tape, the marooned one, the marooned uh, open, the cold opening that they did. It, it reminds me of the um, Little Shop of Horrors, like going to a lot of work to do something that is ultimately just scrapped and never used. Yeah. <laughs> they created an entire naked version of Crichton <laughs> yeah. for that one scene. And it was never used, and it's just <laughs> madness. Mm. Yeah, fair play though. Yeah, as per um, Robert's first day as well oh, on yeah. um, on body swap. The oh, whole, the... yeah. There, there's a okay. So th- th- there's now there was another story that was mentioned in the commentaries for this, and they made it out as if he just set fire to himself, not mm. that he electrocuted himself. Yeah. Like I don't know what like <coughs> we've got footage of that scene now and like nothing happens. Now so have. what the fuck? So like where's this come from? Well <laughs> like it, like it happens dick. but it happens quietly. I think being electrocuted like I'll believe being electrocuted because it's not just Robert telling if it was only Robert telling that story I'd be like, Yeah, and was was Jim, was fucking Jimmy Hill there like, you know, stoking the coals in the jacuzzi. I think it's him and it's um uh Peter Rag. Yeah, yeah, Rangers, yeah. but yeah, when this DVD was released, that tape was missing. That tape was yeah, we couldn't find and it. And there was there's even a caption on the um, in the documentary saying, "Unfortunately, we don't have this footage yet, but we can see it in, on the Body Snatcher collection." In... Um, however, marooned, the master tape is missing and presumably still missing because that that one deleted scene, which is from the Smegups tape, is the only deleted scene from Marooned. Yeah, and we know that more exist because there are smegups that feature deleted moments from. Ah, uh, good point. Uh, where they're talking about drinking piss. <laughs> oh yeah, um, piss. So it must have existed when they made smeg outs in '95, but was not put back, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or labelled yeah. wrong, or whatever. Got got lost missing. in the in the you know. 
Sell off herself. Giant, you know, Indiana <laughs> Jones storeroom. Oh, that was something they mentioned. It was like uh, that about uh, Ed By really wanted the the polymorph scene where all the co- all the cardboard boxes and stuff, and apparently shot like Albert Docks in Liverpool. Yeah, and it was like. And it's like he wanted to look like um, Indiana Jones, and it's, it's going to look like this kind of endless corridor of boxes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you tried. I'll I tell mean, you where he mentioned you for that. that. Where he discussed that was in the Six of the Best CD, so in the Easter egg of the animated extra. That's yeah. right, there you go. <clears throat> well, come on to the Easter eggs, because there's a lot of them on this. I couldn't fucking find any. <coughs> and we'll get to why that happened in a minute and all. You should have read Ian's review from the time because he described them all. <laughs> My favourite deleted scene at the time and now is Vanity Free Cat calling Guilt Free Crichton an asshole. Oh, yeah. And Crichton explaining in great detail what an asshole is and why yeah. he's not, therefore, an asshole, but he is. It does feel a bit like off dwarf this though doesn't it like oh, 100%. there's a tone issue yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you get that a lot with Crichton in series 3 anyway because mm. there is so many and like they point them out every time they happen in the commentaries but there's so many odd Lines. bits of pronunciation yeah. In, yeah where he's still like figuring out the character they only really properly figured out in one episode that whole series yeah, yeah. Um, even in the last day there's some yeah. odd bits of uh, odd words that uh and then he just emerges fully formed in series four. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. light and day, really. Even with the last day being sort of series three point five in the same way that uh, Me Squared was series one point five. Yeah. Even between the last day and uh, Camille, it's night and day. My head canon for that is that the voice unit for Crichton is still being repaired. Yeah, well, I mean the whole he- the whole actual canon for like why Crichton is weird is because Lister put him back together wrong. <laughs> And then yeah. in series yeah. four, he managed to have another go. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just yeah. like tweaked. Yeah, went back. Tweaked it. Like you do with anything, you get like a like my three D printer's had so many upgrades since it's been <laughs> triggers three D printer. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> triggers and the ship of trigger. <laughs> <laughs> the sugar babes android. So. <laughs> So the smeg ups, I remember there's one smeg up on there. I'm annoyed I didn't write down which one it was, but there's one on there that I don't remember ever seeing before. And it might have been the one, I think it might have been the one about the, the water when, like, List says, like, why can't I drink the water? Why can't I drink the snow? And I don't remember that being on any of the smeg ups times. I don't know if that's one of them. It was on, it was on smeg outs. Was it? Oh, right. And okay. because it, and because it's from Marooned, it, you know. Yeah. Everything that's from Marooned is from Smegos. Ah, uh, okay. I, I just, I just, I, just, just pretend it's scrumpy. Yeah. <laughs> we never get that scene, and I think that that would have been an interesting scene mm. to keep in because that would have at least explained. There's a bit in backwards when chaos. Rimmer, chaos when Rimmer, you explain how people understood what Rimmer was saying because it's actually a scene oh, when yeah. he speaks backwards, and he must have just learned. You know, obviously, he didn't, but like in in the head canon, he learned his his phrasing. Yeah. Yeah, well, Crichton somehow reprogrammed him. Yeah, he could, to, he could do because in the in the book he switches between backwards and forwards. Oh, that's modes. right. He could make him do it, couldn't he? Yeah. He could make him understand it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Bob Uskinol. <laughs> 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 which is the same as Hashawanka now, which is bullshit. That does not spell Wonka wash backwards, but you know. Ask <laughs> him. <laughs> Oh, there's a great bit in the documentary. <laughs> Just go to go even further back, <laughs> where Craig says it's weird how you know bitter becomes airskip if you just 
play that bit of me saying airskip backwards, it'll sound like bitter. And, it doesn't and they do, <laughs> and it sounds nothing like it whatsoever. <laughs> They even slow it down and everything. <clears throat> One more deleted scene thing. <clears throat> the um, I think we've done commentary on the series three deleted scenes as well. You know, if so, if so, link in the show. Well, we finished the series three uh, commentaries. Yeah, yeah we were a bit inconsistent with what we did when we finished a series. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think for three we did do it because there was so many interesting ones. Yeah. One of which is the time slides alternate version of the tension sheet scene where Rimmer's using the. Uh, hollow box glove thing which is weird and doesn't work and they were right to get rid of it series 3 it's really obvious watching the deleted scenes how like it's a classic example of like you know shoot for the aim for the stars and you might hit the moon it's like they they really did overstretch in a lot of ways like really overcompensated and they cut the correct things everything that was cut deserved to go pretty much the episodes are shorter as well I've noticed watching back they're all like 26 27 minutes oh, yeah, so weird. i wonder there was a real qual- quality over quantity yeah, yeah. Thing. i thought the bbc was quite strict about that sort of stuff maybe it eased yeah around this t- well no the opposite is true <laughs> um back in the day they were more laissez-faire about running times yeah faulty because towers like episodes of faulty towers and the young ones and like stuff like that they can vary yeah, yeah. Sometimes thirty five, thirty six, and they just shift everything on and make and make the news a bit yeah. shorter or longer, yeah. <laughs> depending on what they needed. I was looking at those props for the gloves, and I was like, I was quite impressed by like again all that work mm. that went into making something that never got used. There's so much in there in this series. And nowadays it would be much easier <laughs> with either just LED strips, yeah, yeah. Gloves, yeah. But we had to program to these actual yeah. running things. LEDs. Fucking soldered well, back, on one back, by one. Back probably. then, Peter Wagg's assistants had to, you know, do overtime <laughs> to get that. whoever they were. Yeah. <laughs> These mystery men. <laughs> uh, tell what's it what like the opposite of like scenes being cut because they are trying to do something technical and and failing is just the abysmal scenes that they ended up cutting and reshooting from body swap. The mm. whole scene of of you know of Lister Rimmer like drinking eggnog and just refusing to stop drinking it. It's like it's got this really weird, uncomfortable. Maybe it's because it's just a bit too much like having a standoff with a five year old, and I only just realise now how much <laughs> it is like having a <clears throat> like. But there's a something in Chris's performance as Lister, yeah, <laughs> in Rimmer's body. It's like it's. Flat, isn't it? despairing almost mm. it's like no yeah. don't yeah. stop it it's like you're really hurting yeah it. yeah tonally it's weird yeah. yeah it's very uncomfortable to watch because it's it, nearly the idea of what happened in the body snatcher it's basically it's what what sort of that turned into that's very true yeah because and there's the whole thing about him really parts work. of yeah and it's like yeah. like listers could not do anything about it because he can't touch him he can't you know it's like he's literally powerless mm. to stop him doing whatever he wants right now and it's just like he's just literally abusing Lister's body at that point and I think yeah. that's kind of what's horrible about it really. Yeah, it is realistic nowhere near as comical when you include those things. Best to chop that stuff out and just go for you know, face first and mashed potato and thumbs up. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, know, face yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely better than the version in the bunk room where it just like just crammed into his face. It seems a bit more unhinged doesn't it? Yeah. The deleted scenes in this just show the power of editing really. Yeah. Um, especially like the pol- um I'm not sure if this is in, but the poly, the po- all the polymorph shots. It's an Easter egg. It's an Easter egg, right? Yeah. What is? 
there's an Easter egg of the original version of the um, the climactic shot of Polymorph. What the one? Uh, must have been like an early attempt at doing it live. As oh, I, I was thinking about the one where you see him. We see the polymorph growing. Oh yeah, that's, that's in deleted scenes. Yeah. And yeah. that yeah. horrible sound of someone just eating. Yeah, just like <laughs> without the proper folio. And, yeah. and the audience all like going, "Oh fuck it out!" So like they were obviously doing a lot of this in front of the or showing it to the audience to get yeah, yeah, reactions yeah. and then cutting it in later. But like again, yeah. like the way they cut around that, like making that effective yeah. it's like it's like the self-loathing beast like working with mm. you know what less was a, less than ideal well you were, you'd overshoot knowing that you're not going to use all of it yeah. but they're like they wanted to give themselves as many options as possible for different yeah. bits yeah. different movements to include and ended up just using one shot of it rising up yeah. and, and nothing else and that was by far the correct decision yeah. okay is there anything else to say on the smeg ups because they're just called from uh, yeah. the previous videos yeah, yeah. that have been released uh, Hattie's DJ Diary we've sort of covered uh, and then the tribute to Mal Bibi which is lovely building a better universe yeah it, it's lovely just that it exists as his you know 10 minutes dedicated to this one person who was brilliant but also it's like having an extra 10 minutes of the big documentary mm, yeah it feels just like they could have had it as a section in the documentary but they chose to isolate it so that it performed as a as a dedicated yeah. tribute yeah. to him mm-hmm. which i hadn't clocked how recently he died as well when they were making this he died in 2002 uh, in june 2002 and this was out uh, just over a year later so they they must have been talking about him less than a year or around a year after he died i mean they must have been pretty close to trying to get him in to talk to him for the mm. documentary and then that happened and then yeah he did a mr flibble interview for toss yeah. in 2001 so he was clearly around but the obituary on toss which i looked up for this says that he had been suffering a long illness no. so he might not have been yeah up to being they might camera. have known already that he wouldn't have been fit for it but he was only 54 mm. so not good. So it must have been very raw for people like Ed and Peter Rag to talk about him as such a valued colleague and friend. What really comes across there is how much they were all a team, including the actors, and like how you know, obviously, you know, we never went to a DJ that had Mel Bibby at it, but like talking about you know when when the actors were doing their Q and As, he was stood at the back because he knew that they were probably going to rip the piss out of him in some way, mm. and like that sort of camaraderie with like you know between cast and set designer. Or, you know, I guess set designers maybe putting it mildly, but like, doesn't seem usual. Doesn't seem, you know, that that seems unique yeah. to Red Dwarf to a certain extent, and maybe unique to Mel, just because like he was quite clearly really one of the most popular pe- people on set by the sounds of it. Influential as well, yeah. like in a way that you, it, it's it's good to have these reminders every now and then. Like I said about how much work went into it and how important that work was to hear Doug talking about how it then influenced how they move forward yeah. and showed him the stu- you know set defined a look for red dwarf that influenced the writing for future series it's weird how doug kind of forgot that blade runner was his influence and he, and he actually told <laughs> mel that it was uh, alien oh well not mad i very much liked hattie's anecdote about um him being at a convention and some twat with loads of money in the auction outbidding everyone and a woman being distraught that she'd lost out on a Crichton head and Mel just going come here and giving her a spare Crichton head from the boot of his car yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love literally spare head too <laughs> <laughs> 
can you imagine what Mel had in his car that he? Uh, yeah. I mean, like, talk about the Ark Bits of the Covenant. It, yeah. It's like that's the you know that's the stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. Bits of material wedged in the grooves of his shoes <laughs> it would be incredibly interesting. Isn't that a yeah, Paul Simon song? <laughs> Actually, that set plan that got sold at the DJs, the one that's on the table, mm. when Mel is doing his bits of camera, that's the set that's on the table. Oh. Interesting. I'm, I'm not 100% sure where that was supposed to be from. No, my guess, best guess, is... So. Series six era, mm. when they started filming a behind-the-scenes video that oh. didn't get very oh, far. Right, Some yeah. of the rushes of which are on the series six DVD. Right, but in the pages of uh, Better Than Life and this magazine, they were they were trailing this that they were going to release a behind-the-scenes video. Right. So I assume it's from that because that's the only circumstances in which. I can see Granada Productions taking a camera into to Mal and interviewing him. It's clearly taken from a VHS dump of some rushes because it's got the time, the time code burnt in over it and all that, and it's not the highest of qualities. But that must be where it's from, and sadly, that dub must be the only version of it available if it's not in full mm. on the in the Series Six DVD. Yeah, yeah, it's all night. Unless it's not from the Series Six making of, in which case that's bollocks. <laughs> Well, the only other thing I can think of is that when did they do that? How did they do that? When did they do that? When did they do that? How to do that? <laughs> Series seven. Series seven. So, yeah. But that was focused on the um, the models yeah, specifically. True. It's a massively missed opportunity to, to talk to Mel. It's one of the greatest tragedies of Red Dwarf in general. Mm-hmm. Well, thank God they got Peter Rag on yeah, this DVD. True. Feels like you're talking to your grandparents about. You know about their lives and getting as much about info the from them, yeah. Before, you know, it's. Uh, but but both men way too young when they died. Yeah, and that heartfelt and poignant <laughs> note. Let's move on to the food featurette. <laughs> Again, the, the, probably the third and probably the final <laughs> idea that was <laughs> certainly the third. This, <laughs> no matter what you can say about these featurettes, this was the third of these featurettes. <laughs> this was as we'd like to now call the next one this was a collection <laughs> of clips cut together to music for sure like there's no sort of meaningful cuts that i can that i can glean no this. it's it doesn't have any particular flourishes like the the last mm. ones did it's not it's again it's, it's good fine. it's serviceable it's fine it's fine it's a good song don't know what's got to do with food <laughs> I mean, this is where the, the this is where where the concept like drunk was a strong idea, and then gradually you just like <clears> like <throat> I can't quite. Well, keep the, this up. the thing is, eating food is well, the existence of food is not something that's unique to Red Dwarf. <laughs> True, it's not. It's, I mean, there are a lot of food references in. Red I was going to say a lot that of is sort of iconic yeah. curry lager, etc. But alternate personalities, that is something that's worth highlighting and focusing on. Food, it's just there. There's a lot of interesting scenes that involve food, like mm. Legion, like Body Swap. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. There are stuff mm. that involve things happening around a table of food and that therefore has some merit being made into a feature. I get that. But when you've committed to making eight of them, then food is a perfectly valid one. It's just I can't actually remember what the other ones are. 
Do you imagine the depths we're going to sink to? <laughs> this is the third one. Um, love and then don't... something and then. Oh, something love. Else. That's right. Love. Oh yeah, love is next. Love. I remember that. So, Peter that's the best song love. out of all of them. I can't remember what it is, so no spoilers. Oh. Okay, okay, fine. If you're not going to spoil, you don't spoil the magazine. I won't spoil the fact that it's Vic Reeves and the Wonder <laughs> stuff. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But which 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 Vic Reeves on the Wonderful Song? I demand to know. <laughs> so backwards forwards. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, we can literally point you to the commentary where we do that and talk about that. Link in the show. It's a fun idea. Yeah, it, that's the thing. Is is one of those things where people could argue that's a waste of space, but that takes absolutely no time to create. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it's something yeah. that has to be, you know, made for purpose. It's like everyone wants to see that on the DVD for this series otherwise it would be a massive you know people would be annoyed it wasn't there yeah it's just a, it's mm. just a cool like you're not most of it's not really watchable but you what you have that there for is to have like just almost like the definitive like here you know here, here's what everyone mm. said backwards in one yeah. place everyone's always thought oh what would it be like if you watched yeah and also having it complete allows you to see how much bollocks the, back, the logic or lack thereof <laughs> of everything that happens to them. Seeing it in linear order, yeah, it's so order. interesting how how you write an episode like that and get it wrong in both directions. I don't actually <laughs> quite impressive. That's not a criticism. I just I find it fascinating how they managed to make it work. And it totally works. The first two or three hundred times you watch it I thought you were going to say of course the episode works for the first two or three minutes before they go to back <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah the more if, if you do deep think about it like you do deep think anything you're going to start finding holes that slowly get mm. bigger and bigger the more well what they did was they approached the concept in that they just wanted to find the maximum funny and they did that yep and that was the first priority, mm-hmm. yeah. More so than making sense, because well, well, Ed does talk about obviously how difficult. I mean, it would have been you know piece of piss these days, but, but when Ed was <laughs> doing it back then, like that's when he had his high eight. <laughs> but the amount of headaches he was it, like logistical headaches he was getting from the basics of like uh, uh, of you know starting on a wide yeah. and ending on a wide and the direction of travel yeah. and, and stuff and like continuity that. Continuity so of was... makeup as well, that kind of stuff really. So, so having really any sort of continuity of like, or any sort of you know through, for, it's like, nah. Does this scene work and does it follow through to the next scene? Yes, good, right, great. Carry on. Is it funny that this happens backwards? Yes, in the risk. Yes, yeah. Can we throw Craig Charles through a window? I wonder how many tests they had to do to to make sure that stuff worked like doing that. Because while well, he was doing it on his high eight and rewinding it, that oh, seemed to be true, the only yeah, test he could do. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'd like to see. I'd like to see that stuff. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> you might still have that. Actually, you can imagine it'd be a harder for stuff like that. Going back to the very first thing we talked about, <laughs> the the documentary, <laughs> as well as it being longer and episodic, unlike the previous efforts on series one and two, mm. as well as that as a different style in that they're intercutting clips, which they did do actually to an extent in the first one, but in, in launching Red Dwarf, but more clips from the show to illustrate what they're talking about or to act as punctuation mm. or, you know, to separate out sections. And again, the only problem with the series three and four documentaries is that they would get better later on mm-hmm. because later on they started including clips from Rush's Rather than just from the episodes, yeah. and they'd have clips of other programs, stuff that they stuff that involved the cast and crew, yeah. stuff that was relevant yeah. to the discussion. Just like the the whole range of the material that they were drawing from was so much bigger and better. So maybe if 
if series three had got the uh, the body snatcher <laughs> treatment, or if it, this was later down the line, maybe they could have dug out Ed's old tapes, or at least, or they would at least have shown rushes of Ed and or Mike Agnew on set trying to figure things out. Yeah. We would have seen Ed with his high eight camera, <laughs> yeah. even if we didn't see the footage from his camera. We'd have seen him I mean, captured on the studio cameras. Yeah. We never would have thought that we'd see like rushes of like Ed. Popping his head round, testing his split screens on series one. Yeah, or like Paul Montague, yeah. like wandering around aimlessly. Tony Hawks yeah. talks about his act as the warm-up man, as the as the great Tony or whatever it was, and his green sparkly suit. And then we see him doing that act yeah. in with the green sparkly yeah. suit yeah. and the body snatcher. Coaching. So all checks out. <laughs> Fact. Yeah. Fact check. <laughs> he <passed>. wasn't lying. <laughs> yeah, just that tantalizingly short bit that we get from that. Yeah, God, I wonder if like almost the opportunity for that has passed now as well, just because of like the availability of rushes. Just feels like it's maybe the window of opportunity for having access to deep rushes of that era of Edwards. Maybe. maybe gone. I don't know. Maybe, but you never know. Yeah. I mean, Doctor Who keeps on managing to dredge new things. Yeah, up and a lot of that show was reissued. burned. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some episodes of it where you don't even have the final episode, yeah. <laughs> and yet they, for other episodes, they manage to dig out, you know, six-hour-long uh, studio rushes. Yeah. So yeah, it's, cool. it's whether you just have the right person looking in the right place. Yeah, uh, and you know, you could sit yeah. there and digitize the entire. BBC back catalogue, but that is a ridiculous process that mm, would take expensive. Unless you can automate it in some way, in which case you're not really monitoring it. How oh. on earth are you going to make sure you can't quality control? You still have to store it and index it. I was going to say, what's done with rushes these days? Because presumably rushes only have a certain shelf life. Because like you know, there is only so much hard drive space. Well, that's it. It, it costs it, a lot it's, of money. It's not necessary. So that's the kind of stuff that won't be kept. That's we'll the stuff get, that will we'll be deleted go, first. Yeah. 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 Which is exactly the almost you exactly can, the same as burning. The, you know, the, you can consolidate an edit project so that it keeps what you've used and ditches the ditches rest. The rest, yeah. But yeah, I, you would back up everything on, unless you're making Red Dwarf Ten and your Grant Naylor Productions. <laughs> Every all rushes would be securely backed up before they get to an edit suite. I'd say I don't think that's a problem. Oh yeah, I know. But like, how long? Like. What's the what's the little expiry date on those backups? There must be one. There must be an expiry date, you know. That's what I'm, well, I'm curious about. Until the hard drive fails. Yeah, yeah. Until the hard drive, yeah. <laughs> yeah true. Yeah. And this is we're talking about magnetic tapes. Yeah. Uh, here, so magnetic tapes from 35 years ago. Yeah, shit, there is a shit, shit magnetic tapes as well. Like not even yeah. the good ones from the 90s. <laughs> And speaking of poor quality source material, uh, the trailers. <laughs> oh, these were gleaned from VHSs, weren't they? They're like, they're they were off airs, yeah. and God bless the fans that recorded them and kept them. Yeah. Uh, because the BBC clearly couldn't be asked. Yeah. What's the name of the, the suspected fan that. Uh, Maxine, Maxine Lehrman, CMA of mid 90s fan club. Oh, yeah, then. CMA. She, um, she shows up on the forums at Tan Tan. Yeah, we're, we're claiming it. Yeah, <laughs> she wasn't at the time, but you know, only a matter of time. There's one VHS one which is interesting, uh, advertising series two and three on VHS. Yeah, there must be way way more trailers than this for series three. Yeah. In fact, I'll have a search on Jim Lynn's blog slash YouTube channel. He's the guy that has this huge, ginormous collection of thousands of VHS tapes of off-air recording, never thrown anything away or taped over it. And he's digitised them all and he's uploading highlights to the internet. 
he must have some mm. because the one trailer that we get here is an episodic trailer from Arund so presumably there were episodic trailers for other episodes yeah. and a big series trailer even if they were just picking out the good episodes to get special treatment polymorph would have also you know you, you would think the tendency at the time with trailers if you were doing episodic trailers was to do the first half of a series ah okay so I remember a bit later on when I was around to pay attention to these things, Series 7 got trailers up to and including Duck Soup. Uh, so I would imagine this would get trailers up to and including Polymorph at the least, but often you would have them just run the whole, the whole series yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Depends how busy the schedule is, right? Yeah. yeah. How well a show's doing? Depends on the running times yeah. of the various half-hour sitcoms that under or overrun and how much time you have <laughs> yeah. to cram in trailers so that you're on time for the news. Had out Series 3 being shot by trailering Series 3. <laughs> <laughs> Raw effects footage. <sighs> there is something about the Starbug flying in particular that my brain won't allow me to acknowledge that it's not real <laughs> <laughs> even watching the rushes the raw footage and you know seeing multiple takes of the same shot and everything else there's part of me that just like oh yeah that's starbuck that's starbuck flying in space yeah, yeah. and you can't convince me <laughs> i know that it is not real because you don't build giant spaceships and take them to space yeah you can see it, tiny miniature thing on strings. Later shots, like Series 11, Twentica and stuff like that, I don't have that. And I wonder if it's just because I watched it as a child. But, you know, even as a child, I knew that it wasn't a real spaceship. But I, I suspended my disbelief far more than an adult would. Mm. And, yeah, I just see those shots and think, yep, that Starbucks flying through space. No, I don't think of it... So, for example, the flybys of Red Dwarf, I look at those and I look at the craft that goes you into them and model. the skill, and I think about, oh, yeah, that's a fantastic model, that's amazing camera work, that's such an effective shot, I can see why they've done it that way to make it look more realistic, etc. The Starbug ones, I'm just like, yep, that's Starbug flying through mm-hmm. space. I don't see <laughs> I don't see the craft and the work that's gone into it, I just see the end product. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what that is, and maybe it's like strength of design. Because like, start, I mean, as as amazing as Red Dwarf is as a piece of design, it is it's no Starbug. <laughs> start Starbug's yeah. one of the greatest, you know, models created for TV, and and I think that may that must have something to do with it. Is that like, for whatever reason, it's all about the scale, isn't it? Because if you can look at something and say, I can't see, it's like a Starbug crashing into the ocean world in Dimension Jump is like my yeah. number mm. one example of just like, how the fuck does that look like full life scale? But it just does. You cannot look yeah. at that and think of a model crashing into, you know, a small amount of water. So it just must be something to do with the details mm. of the thing. The fact that they had such a huge hero ship that they used a lot as well. They yeah. did use the yeah. little ones, but like a lot of the time you're looking at the hero ship. The speed at which they shot yeah. it as well of 120 frames a second, I think yeah. it was, that Peter Rag said in the documentary. Give it so a bit more weight. Give it weight. Yeah, that's four times. Yeah. Which is something you don't really appreciate as well, is you don't realise kind of the, the benefits of high-speed mm. photography is that it does give things like when Starbuck crashes into the snowbank, but also when it crashes into the uh, sand in... Um, or crash into the rocks, you know, that you see in the... In, the, in, the, in Body Swap. Such in a good swap. shot that yeah. they use it in the titles because it's... Yeah, such a good shot that they... Um, it was probably one of the first things that they ripped out and replaced <laughs> in Series 3 Remastered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, it, again, that's like 
like the scale it it, it, it starbug is involved in shots that kind of ground it like literally ground it mm. <laughs> if you see what i mean <laughs> so so when you think of red dwarf you're thinking of a model dangling in black and then you also have to you also mm. have the series 5 model in your head which is much 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 lower detail yeah. So it yeah. looks more like a model, whereas Starbug always feels like it's dynamic, it's going somewhere, it is, and it never, ever has a single shot where they fuck the scale up or they fuck the movement up or anything like that. It's, like, immaculate. I think that's it. I think it's the scale. It's always got, yeah, mm. something to keep it in, and the gravity that's added by doing it in slow-mo. Yeah. It always seems correct. And nothing nothing it, is augmented with CG. It doesn't reveal it. its secrets. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, this only applies up to and including series six. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there's there's flashes of it. There's flashes of uh, like yeah, but it's just, just not universal yeah, yeah. from that point on. I think also it's smaller than Red Dwarf. Like it's like you know how um, one of Russell T Davies's big downsides as a writer is that he goes too big with things. Like his numbers are too big. Um, and like George Armand does it with a wall is like ridiculously high, like higher than it could ever reasonably be. And I think Red yeah. Dwarf is too big; it, it's too big to be reasonably portrayed. Whereas Starbug isn't. Starbug is, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like the million versus a billion thing. You yeah. don't really get your head round like a billion is just like it's so ridiculous, and yet you think you know what that means, and then you. Mm. Put it in contextual yeah. like actually you don't have a clue mm. what that means. You think it you think it's it's one order higher than million, but it's actually three orders higher than Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's so numbers. like we're a dwarf being so big it's kind of you just cannot Staffed. get your head around it. Yeah, it's just it's just yeah, it's just unreal. Whereas Starbuck feels a bit more, you know, close to but also when you think when you think of the backgrounds of the people working on it, you think of Thunderbirds. Uh, which where Pete, Peter Rag learnt his craft mm-hmm. basically and, and learnt everything that he knows <laughs> or he knew um, to do spaceships mm. to do Starbird two and yeah. except yeah it's Starbug scale and yeah. Mike Tucker and other members of the team and Peter Rag himself um, I always bring it back to Doctor Who because that's the only thing other than Red Dwarf that I know about um, <laughs> oh, go on, but GTA a lot of the model, well. lot of them yeah that's <laughs> less useful for this. <laughs> But a lot of the model work in that is either the TARDIS, which is a a, a small craft, or other sort of spaceships that are you know transporters rather than big fucking right, ridiculous yeah. steamers. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Red Dwarf maybe needed to be smaller. Oh, it's a bit fucking late now. It is actually, although you know, Rob reboots everything. <laughs> I'll let him know. In the Butskyverse. In the Butskyverse, yeah. Red Dwarf is just the size of Rob's ass. There is one model shot where Starbug is spinning out of the, through the yeah. opening doors. The tail fin just misses the tooth, <laughs> like they were supposed to hit it and they didn't, and it looks amazing. But it's always really impressive. <laughs> and then we've got the kind of the standard things, but you know, standard by this point is uh, yeah, yeah. The high it's, bar. It's a standard. sign of how lucky we were. It's a very high bar to be standard. The isolated music cues, brilliant. Joy. Not as many as uh, series one and two, but that, I think that just reflects. Hope Craig got paid this time. But again, like again, <laughs> quality over quantity. I think for this one because yeah. it's like all of Howard Goodall's cues were kind of mo- for the most part used. 
where there's been one and mm. two that were just kind of splattergraph, mm. just kind of like doing yeah. things and maybe using the fit. So he was a bit more like the model unit, like working almost more to spec or like exactly, more like yeah, more working one to one rather than yeah. just going, here's a load of ideas, you do what you need with here's them. A suite. And there's a couple yeah. that we might do bespoke, but these are all <laughs> we need this thing for this. Yeah, exactly. In fact, exactly the trajectory of the special effects, right? Like, mm, going exactly from that. really general down to specific. Another comparison is that you, he already had a bank of Red Dwarf stock cues that could that just needed to be added to. Like with the special effects, you didn't need to do a load of new Red Dwarf flybys because you already had them. Mm. So you'd do the episode specific or the series specific stuff instead. Yeah. And you've also laid a lot of the groundwork in terms of instrumentation as well. So there's mm. a lot of stuff where you already know who you're working with to get that sound, you know, and it's all going to feel like it's all part of the same family, even though it's a generation higher than than the previous one. But at least it has still has that flavour, but got a bit more of a, yeah. a rougher edge to it. And I, I absolutely love series three's cues. He's got he's got all his settings dialed in. Yeah, and obviously the, the and the theme tune having like I can't imagine how much of a step change that would have been for anyone like mm. if they change the theme tune now it would be sacrilege i was gonna say the absolute brass balls of this series in general but like specifically yeah. i think the theme like you change the theme song like i mean yeah. peep show managed it but that's and, slightly lower stakes given the fact that the actual intro has a lot more action and yeah, you know, yeah. stuff that kind of really needs to do it up it's like i'm actually now wonder what it would sound like if you put the old theme with the new titles and see how <laughs> and slow them down be in slow mode. just see what it looks like because I imagine that could be quite weird or the other way around you take the series one well I mean the series the, three on top of it too. one of the interesting things about remastered is kind they of attempt to try out, and really, do like, that don't they yeah. yeah yeah to try and marry the two yeah. it's an interesting idea but yeah it just wastes time if you're going to then cut out the fucking black card conversation that's not fucking bother mate yeah We've got Talking Book Chapters. Which is just Polymorph and... Uh, Murund. Murund, yeah. Yeah, both from Better Than Life. Yeah. Again, like, literally, these could not have been on the DVD and no one would have even noticed, but the fact that they're on there just shows a... Yeah. You know, they're the, the, the sort of things that show the intent of completeness that is kind of being put mm. into these. If you can fucking find them. If you can fucking find it. Uh, we'll get to that. If you can navigate to any of the extras on this, you're... <laughs> There's the web link. There we go. Oh, it's a web link. Photo gallery is much better than the previous ones in terms of the range of yeah. shots available. Presented still with the annoying thing of not being full screen, but taken up a bigger proportion. Of time. Also, the best. I could explain this one better than I could explain Series 1 and 2, because I think Series 3 photographs with Paul Grant. Yeah, and so there's some level of license required to. I think show Paul those. Grant I was think a photographer was... for the other for like the early ones. So it's just was he as well? specifically this was like copyright Paul Grant. Yeah, it's interesting. Stuff. Mm. I don't know. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he was doing. He did some behind scenes yeah. stuff for the others as well. But like, yeah, this is like almost like you know, it suddenly it was his business. There's something about the ownership yeah. of these particular photos just for series three. Just for series yeah. three, yeah, it's very odd. But like, but also they're some of the best behind the scenes yeah. photos that we have a lot of them are very familiar to me because they're in the Red Dwarf Companion yes the Brewster Sow book yeah. and so you know pre-internet <laughs> definitely pre-DVDs mm. just just coming out in our um, magazine timeline yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
It's funny. funny. And there's also on here, there's as well as the Paul Grant ones, there's loads of Polaroids, uh, continuity Polaroids, which are fantastic to to have yeah. proper to look proper at. behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bored looking actors just standing there in the T-pose yeah <laughs> and you notice the cat's slippers when he's Vanity Free Cat in Polymorph he's got cat slippers with like novelty cat slippers with big fluffy tails <laughs> <laughs> which you only you don't see on screen at all you only see in the photos right. behind the scenes um, go on then let's talk about the menus I, uh, I was really familiarising myself with the timeline here so immediately, immediately, as soon as the, the the disc came out, it became apparent that people were having issues, right? Oh, indeed, before the discs officially came out, because people were reporting issues on, on the, the Saturday, Saturday yes. when their Play.com arrived. Such as me, I was one of the very, very few people that had a DVD drive that was affected by this. So I, <laughs> I think I, oh, I stuck it in the PC. It was fine. Put it in the PC and it worked, but it didn't work on the TV. But yeah, for anyone that wasn't around at the time or can't remember or. Like I don't know. Like if you went and bought a series three DVD from the shops, like not immediately, like a few months later after the issue had been fixed, you presumably have out the box an option to to have either the animated or the static menus, which was what the workaround was. Yeah. But when this DVD was released, a large number of people reported that they couldn't actually watch any of the extras because the animated menu for series three just the bonus features section on disc two didn't work on a lot of dvd players mine it did and it was only when i went online and saw what other people were saying that i had any issues mine just worked how you'd expect it to you you move your dvd remote arrows around and it goes to the next thing and it brings up the name and i think that's what caused it the fact that on the series one and two menus when you navigated around the name of the feature just popped up where your cursor was but this triggered a change elsewhere on the menu different loop it's the sign that the scutter holds up changes depending on where you are and that's the thing that only worked in certain dvd players and in fact when i was revising this issue (laughs) of this dvd in prep for this Dwarfcast, it will not play in my modern, quite high-spec PC. <laughs> yeah. I could access all the features by opening up the different titles in VLC, but I can't actually use the menus in my current PC. It was something that kind of left a nasty taste in a few people's mouths at the time, because the response to it was a bit... It's mealy-mouthed the word? I'm not sure. It wasn't great. Um, so someone called Ian Symes reported on it straight away you were very fair and even handed on GNT actually I definitely wasn't on my site but I don't have any of my news <laughs> posts archived I didn't move any of them across probably because <clears throat> I was a cunt and I, I just didn't like any opinion stuff like that I didn't really want over but like it really pissed me off that BBC Worldwide response and Digital Deluxe response was um, let me see I've got it in front of me here it's not you can't see this on the internet at the moment because reddwarf.co.uk is fucking broken but they said we so be on archive.org if you yeah go on archive.org you know when we eventually get around to put putting our putting our proper archive version up um so we understand a small number of customers are experiencing this see i work in it and specifically i do a lot of it support with our customers and this this paragraph sends chills down my spine we understand that a, num- a small number of customers are experiencing difficulties in accessing the bonus features this two red dwarf series three 
it may be that a minority of low range or older DVD players, how many qualifiers can you get in one? It may be that a minority of low range or older DVD players have a compatibility issue. However, the majority of customers won't have any problem at all. Presumably they mean anyone with a super duper Blu-ray 4K drive in 2023 that can also read DVDs <laughs> without a problem will have issues. Uh, just an aside, it doesn't work on PS4. It, it doesn't work on PS4. <laughs> Small, it may be that a minority of all, just all DVD players. And around about this time, I bought my second DVD player. I had a DVD player that was very first generation. I got it for Christmas, I think, like when I was not even working because I just wanted a DVD player. And it was around this time that I got a second DVD player, which was modern and top of the range and multi-region. And it didn't work on the new one, but it did work on the old shitty one. It became pretty obvious, I think, to everyone that this is swapped. This is reverse logic. The older DVDs yeah. were fine. The newer ones weren't. There was just something different about, about the authoring. And to be fair to them, they say, look, what's the paragraph here? The DVD has been produced within the official DVD guidelines to an exacting standard, and every care has been taken. Maximum enjoyment out of it. Taking that you know, in good faith, which we probably should, mm. yes, you're dealing with a massive amount of hardware in a very, <clears throat> well, at the time, still quite young and changing media market so it probably was produced to standards it's just that they got the rug pulled out from under them probably with a changing standard or something and there was a similar thing with the the starbuck playset as well of just like when there was an issue just not really copying to it properly and just being a little bit sniffy about it also the similar thing with the play with the playback on the the blu-rays as well Mm. yeah there's this sort of there's a sort of gaslighting element to it Uh, as as a customer service response of like, oh no, this is because of you. This is your yeah. fault. This is because your DVD player is not good enough. And there was, yeah, with that Series 5 example on the Blu-rays, there was a whole campaign to get them to even acknowledge that there was a problem at mm-hmm. all. And they're just going, no, no, that's fine. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. So the, it's all the, do, doing the Trump effect. Until eventually they do a replacement. <laughs> and in doing so, admitting that there was a fucking problem and having to pay. It's probably because it's expensive. It, like, it costs money. They just to want it to go away. Fault. Yeah, they just want everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, no, 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 it'll be fine. But like, seriously, half the people who bought this couldn't watch the majority of the special features. Yeah. It was madness, and yeah, at the time, the response was clearly infuriating and a bit frustrating. Yeah. I think it's fair to say is that like the tone of myself as a fan side runner, and actually, I was going to say G and T, but I can't find anything contentious on G and T at all about this. Not huh. very. You were, you were just preparing your you were preparing for your career already, weren't you? Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I seem to remember. I think most of the noise I was making was on forums and stuff like that. But like there was, there, there were certain people making noise. I certainly was one of them because, as I mentioned, I was cut, not proud of myself. Um, and the DVD producer for To Entertain, Ross McGinley, we mentioned him before, and you know he's been involved in League of Gentlemen DVDs, like obviously the Red Dwarf DVDs. He had an interesting relationship with the fans. He'd pop up on the official web board. Uh, late at night self-admittedly you know after maybe a few jars and be quite honest and maybe slip a few secrets accidentally to me on email that i'd then put on my website because i'm a cunt <laughs> um, exactly you know etc and and he was i think he was at the center of the shit storm and i remember at the time getting a lot of correspondence with him of just like it was more after the fact he said this this issue you know this this gave me a stomach ulcer you know 
this gave me a fucking stomach ulcer and at one point I was on the web board and someone called Mr Biggles and I, I found an email that I sent to, to the observation <laughs> dome people this is just this is just like saying like you know Ross McGinley's slightly odd fruit um, it says someone called Mr Biggles started paging me on the web board from the writing style and random nature of his posts he was talking about the fact that he'd voluntarily had himself blocked from the forum I assumed he was some teenage time waster anyway it turns out it was Ross McGinley <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, this was the incident so this was November 2005 he, two years after the DVD this is when he was saying mm. the stress from the Series 3 DVD problems <laughs> the stress he got from Doug gave him a stomach ulcer so so it wasn't um, I've I've since you know spun the tale that he was telling me that the stress from the fan feedback was what did it but obviously not it was yeah yeah Doug would have been the one whose job it was to officially get it sorted officially bollock to entertain and and report the problems and and put the pressure on them to get it fixed because in that situation Doug is the the franchise holder is the one that they're profiting from his IP and therefore they need to do their fucking jobs properly if they had to continue yeah it was an interesting time it was it was an interesting it was a shame because it felt like it detracted from the hard work that had gone into it yeah. and the clearly the love and affection that had gone into it to then have the corporate response being so disappointing yeah mm. so tetchy and uh, and improper mm. kind of left a sour taste that is completely unfair on the content of the DVD and the people that produced the content on the DVD yeah. it was corporate rather than creative was the problem yeah there's a bit of a clash there because obviously the, the wording of these we're not sure where the wording came from. I mean, it's coherent English. I don't think it came from Ross. But it would have been it would have been signed off. Yes, exactly. By <laughs> yeah, people it, it legal. Gone yeah, through, it yeah, yeah. It would have gone through a lawyer and a PR yeah. person, and those people, certainly from a PR point of view, could have handled it better. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure that Doug wouldn't have been like, "Oh, yes, I'm sure it is just a small amount of DVD players." He would have been fucking like, "No, obviously he'd have not." Print, he'd have been printing off, <laughs> <laughs> printing off forum posts and sending them directly. <laughs> so yeah, other than that, though, yeah. other than the fact that it doesn't work, they learned their lesson. The menus are the evolution from series one and two following the style of the show changing it's the same basic thing it's the drive room and the bunk room and traveling in between them and stuff but it's the new versions thereof and functionally they're very similar yeah but there's clever and interesting things happening with the easter eggs in this one and we should talk about the easter eggs because they are numerous and belligerent (laughs) 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 thankfully unaffected by the authoring issues. If you can get to the gallery, uh, the photo gallery, one of them is accessible by clicking on one of the photos, uh, and it's the Starbuck one. And I think it's it's great and a bit weird that there's this Starbuck playset um, <laughs> infomercial, <advert>, basically <laughs> behind the scenes of, of the Starbuck playset. And yeah, at the time when we first watched this DVD, that would have been ah, oh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be amazing. And it does look good, the Starbuck playset. It's just the fucking squeaky Gibson over there. <laughs> All the sound chips being rubbish. Terrible. And again, another PR disaster. Again, completely, yeah, yeah and completely undermining all the hard work that, and love that clearly went into it from other departments. Yeah. 
Oh, um, weak, weak, very weak legs. The legs all snapped on. The thing is with Starbuck, with the playset in particular, though, we'll, we'll, you know, we might as well talk about this. Is that yeah. like Starbuck as an actual model? I wonder how much the legs gave um, the model unit a bit of a problem because imagine. you know you think about the logistics of that like this big heavy object sat on these four pins yeah. it's a failure point waiting to happen you know it's a nice mm. look it looks good but it's still but when it's moving it's the first thing to break mm. I think that's why they took and, them away for series seven well very possibly the idea that they could move out of the way when they were flying yeah. is like actually looks more yeah. natural it would look weird you know when you get a you know you get an object flying you're gonna have you know the legs are gonna be you know, assuming they're going to be loose. It's by, yeah, it's why they <clears throat> retract the wheels on airplanes, make it more aerodynamic. Yeah, you wouldn't have them out, it'd be Ma- weird. Do you need to be aerodynamic in space? I don't know. Well, yeah, there's no air resistance. There's no air. I think we've got this If you're going through a yeah, dust have, cloud, a debris cloud, you want, to get, you want to get things out of the way. Basically, so. you don't you don't want to break the leg by a rear asteroid hitting it. So you would just took them away yeah. so that those things yeah. are less likely rather than, you know. But yeah, I couldn't even get to these uh, extras because I couldn't get into the gallery. <laughs> so I didn't even know. Do you know what? I had no idea that this was still an issue. They are really not working. Like It, it, it sort of freezes the video. And then the, even on the PC version I've got, I can click on the various things, but I don't know what they are until I've clicked on them. So I have to guess. Keep pressing and guessing. <laughs> And if it's wrong, you're like, fuck, I've got to go back to the menu, go back to the fucking bus, <laughs> all that fucking thing because you can't skip it. So yeah, thank fuck for the static menus later on. But again, it kind of spoiled it, the whole Easter egg thing. And somewhere I've got a version of this DVD that has the option static or animated. So do I, but I don't know where the fuck it is. <laughs> yeah, I've got uh, <laughs> I've got multiple copies of pretty much everything, but um, most of my Red Dwarf stuff is currently in storage, so I've just got one copy of everything, and I must have picked my old copy rather than my newer. I was going to say that the fixed discs were sent for free, right? I can't. I yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. Same with um, the, the Series 5 discs on the yeah, Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Three. I actually, I got that Blu-ray when when we were doing all the screen capping for the Smug Drive. And I didn't even bother to check. I thought I'd just email them and see if I could get replacement discs, and I did. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got them somewhere. I didn't even check to see whether my copy... I, I think, to be honest, they just... Like, they didn't really recall that, did they? They just did the replacement discs. Does it no, I think it's yeah, yeah. a different age. Of, uh, of home media. Yeah. One last note on that little mini Starbug playset featurette, though, is that the chief model maker was called Ian Crichton. <laughs> As in admirable. As in the inventor of Crichton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we thought it was Professor Mammoth, nope, but it turns Ian out Crichton. Ian Crichton. So how many Easter eggs are there? There's obviously the one with the, the four. There's four Easter eggs on this. Yeah. Bloody hell. Right, okay. You've got your animated six of the best commentary. Which I could find. I found that one. You've got your your Starbug. Yeah, the the six of the best commentary is just one of the options on the menu. It's the polymorph it? is changing into the yeah, thing. Yeah. I think the rabbit is the thing you click on when it turns to a rabbit. There's a bit of a pause before it loops, I think if you get it. Yeah. yeah. And now we're we're going back to Andrew's dream of follow the white rabbit aren't we? follow the white yeah. rabbit yeah because that how you access the bonus polymorph deleted scene which is the original version of that end shot combining three different elements you have to let the episode selection on disc one play through twice and then the third time it plays it has different background music um kevin scuttles on and you have to tap him when he turns into a rabbit so good 
Yeah. It's really it's well so hidden. <laughs> it's really good. That is stupid. But the thing is, I published my review with full details of how to find all the Easter eggs. How the fuck did I bind that? Like... Did you just ask Andrew? Did you just email Andrew? I can't, no, I don't think I did. I think if I... Because eventually they published an FAQ on TOS that told you how to access yeah. the game. But obviously they didn't do that before they released the fucker. Mm-hmm. So I must have... Well, I assume I must have left the menu playing and then noticed the music change. It must have been how I figured that out. But it's that's a hard one to find yeah. by accident. Well, I suppose you can only find it by accident. Cause, and I still do this to this day when I get a new DVD or anything. Every I go into every single menu and press all the arrow keys <laughs> to, to check for hidden <laughs> to check for hidden things. Yeah, and it's like um, whenever you're playing like a platformer computer game. If it's two D, you always go left first, and if it's three D, you always go backwards yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, usually something. <laughs> or if it saves Odyssey, you go down. Because there's a fucking grate on the floor that you didn't see <laughs> in the first screen. And if you walk past it, you can never get back to it. If it's see. if it's a Odyssey, then you follow me. Follow me. <laughs> okay. And the other Easter egg is the bonus model shot from Marooned, uh, which can be found by just watching Marooned. Okay. Which can be found by watching Marooned on Dave. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, the most fucky story of different versions of episodes has definitely got to go with Maroon. So the current UK yeah. TV play situation is they're showing the original, but it's from the DVD, so it's got the, the ending on it. Because it'd be even better if it was remastered, but it had the ending on it. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Someone that had up. literally got to the effort of actually Combine the two. <laughs> and having it reclassified yeah. as a U. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reclassified as a U. <laughs> I was Alexander the Great's chief U. <laughs> this feature lister is a U. <laughs> and of course, the version on the Blu-ray does not have the model shot on the end because they're fucking because they because they'd yeah, because they'd forgot. forgotten why they made that version in the first place because there's clearly a lack of communication and no one who put the amazing effort into the original DVDs was involved in the Blu-ray release. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> but we will save that for Blue... Blue... Monday. Ray... Uh, Ray Discovery. Ray Discovery, yeah. Blu-ray Discovery. Ray Discovery. <laughs> it will be a... Looking at it through blue eyes. It will eyes. be a five-minute dwarf cast in which we say, well, at least it gave us nice screenshots for the smoke drive. Cover art. Cover Lovely. art. Which you can't see because it's covered in signatures. Again, you know. <laughs> That's a weird design feature, isn't it? It's, like, it's weird that they would do that. So, Ed, do you remember the fake cover? Malarkey. Yeah. That was that's yeah, my someone... that's my origin story for reading G and T is that and I was like, is What it? the fuck is this is there's a website that talks about this shit. What? <laughs> yeah, someone had well, I don't know whether it was like just some temporary concept art uh, that originated from Grandmaid or whether it was someone trolling, <laughs> but someone made a version that was just like a, a palette swapped version of the Series 2 art with a 3 instead of a 2, but it was like the blue midget background turned green. And that ended up as being the official image on Play.com and whatever other nascent street, well, not streaming services, <laughs> shops. <laughs> online shops were, that were there and we reported on it as like oh my god the cover's leaked oh hang on yeah. a minute well your, your initial <laughs> I don't think we did it very was, well um, no I think your initial reporting was sceptic 
you know it's like mm. this isn't it. it this probably isn't it and here's why and it was back when you were doing a news update every day yeah because you probably hated yourself and then the next day i think it was like oh no it's not it's fake yeah it had been clarified yeah, but I, I love that i was like i was like wow this is this is the this is the potential of fan sites is doing man you shy like this mm-hmm. um yeah man you shite the rest is very insignificant. <laughs> significant to some people listening. You get the impression that once they got to Series 3, they were like, ah, oh, brilliant. We'll do Red Dwarf first, then we'll do Blue Midget, then we'll do Starbuck. <sighs> Shit. Shit. Don't, don't <laughs> think about so... Series 4 just yet. Uh... <laughs> so Andrew did these, right? The layouts were done by him and maybe... Come... Chris Field did the art. Chris Field did the, the CG art. Yeah. yeah. And Ella did the layout. Yeah. Andrew, our um, our clay Hickman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do love the continuity of the using the same image of Lister on the back, like painting whatever pa- it is. That yeah, they, painting the bunker yeah, room. Yeah, it does. It does fall down, but we'll save that for the yes. next. <laughs> the one, one where arguably it perfectly. falls down the most for is series four. So. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and the paint splodges on his spacesuit have had their colours tinted as well. Yeah, Which is nice. Good. Yeah. It's good work. Yeah. And then there's the booklet. The booklet was a Which I forgot to reread, uh, but I assume is brilliant. I apologise, Andrew. Right. But yeah, I couldn't find the Neo like Those booklets are like the last hurrah for the um, good manuals in physical releases of anything, really, because like, games weren't doing it anymore after a couple of years after this point. Yeah. The DVDs certainly fucking were. This is like probably the best like the last vestige of this sort of thing I will disagree to an extent I think you're right that it stopped being a standard thing but it does happen uh, not long after this but it do, you do get I mean as the physical market has changed you get oh, a lot true. higher proportion of things are collector's editions or special editions or you know definitive re-releases of older stuff where unless you're Red Dwarf where they just put everything out in a box set which is, with no extra effort whatsoever yeah. You will get, you know, the Doctor Who collection, always bringing it back to Doctor Who, <laughs> the Doctor Who collection and series of Blu-rays that they're releasing season by season have fucking 70-page books in them <laughs> going through this kind of stuff in, in great, great detail. But yeah, you wouldn't get anything like this for a bog-standard release anymore. No. Not that these were ever bog-standard, but, you know, they were they were the standard versions of Red Dwarf yeah, on DVD. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Not a deluxe yeah. edition. Yeah, you're absolutely right, yeah, because the physical market is basically a collector's market at this point, isn't it? We also get a little time capsule here of a leaflet, (laughs) which I've obviously kept. A leaflet for reddwarfshop.co.uk, the first failed Red Dwarf online shop. (laughs) Probably the best one as well, isn't it? Best incarnation. It had loads of stuff. It had the... Remember the Scutter T-shirt? In fact, you can see it on yep. the thing. The Scutter T-shirts that we all had, the uh, the the design sketches of the Scutters. They were an exclusive oh, yeah. item Amazing. here. The weird fucking Rimmers toolkit that may or may not have had a tiny condom oh, in it, yeah. as discussed on a previous Dwarfcast, <laughs> was from this. And the good news is, you can get a ten percent discount by entering the promotional code Red Ten. Unfortunately, the offer does expire on the thirty-first of December two thousand and three. So if you got this DVD for Christmas, you'd have to fucking I was rush. Say, yeah, that's that's pretty tight, isn't it? And if you if you bought it, like if you waited till the new year and got it in the sales, you'd have yeah, missed yeah. out. Well, you know, 
Got to get it while it's, it's hot. Lose. Well, it's alright because Grant Hill didn't want any money anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Scott T-shirt was fantastic. Is that the one that's yeah. on the? Is that the one with the sort of hand-drawn? Yeah, yeah, like, the sketch concept that's on yeah. the, in the series eight. The original book. concept yeah. art. Uh, yeah. On the rear of the leaflet, slightly oddly, it's an advert for a completely different company, <laughs> prop uh, the Prop Store of London. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, there was some their overpriced stuff. Yeah. There was constantly like this was a feature of the early days of GNT again. If we're going to be in nostalgic mode of when we forced ourselves to do an update every day for no fucking reason whatsoever, <laughs> frequently they were. Hey, look what the what's at the prop store. So at this era, the prop store was going heavy on Red Dwarf stuff. There was always like if you go on every few weeks, there'd be new Red Dwarf stuff added. Well, Toss Toss was very heavily like you know. I almost feel like Toss and mm. you know, GMP obviously were getting a cut. They must have been getting yeah, a cut. they were almost yeah. business partners. It seems like because they were advertising it in their DVD. I was going to say they must be getting something constantly on this site. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do have something to say actually about the cover that I forgot to say earlier. I don't like this picture of Lister and Rimmer being used in this context. Uh, um, facing off. Yeah, they're, they're both in profile. It doesn't quite work yeah. for me compared to all the all the other ones. Uh, more they have, sort of iconic face on shots. You know, the, the negative. It one. must be limited. Yeah. Should have just had Rimmer and Lister from that. Just the mm. rimmer and it should have been um, yeah. the reverse brothers. It should have been what's on the reverse. Oh, maybe yeah. Do you know what? Maybe, <laughs> maybe there was there was something to be said for like because there was a very rigid pattern that was stuck to with these. It was always it was always Lister and Rimmer, and I do wonder whether it could have got away with not always being Lister and Rimmer. If you know what I mean. But then they had they had the spine. There was always yeah, a different character on the spine, spine Put her in the which spine. they managed. <laughs> Which they did manage for all eight releases to have a different yeah. actor on there. But but, but well, am I right in saying that they never had list of Rimmer on the spine? Which no, of course they bloody oh, did. did. They? Okay, right. Rimmer was series yeah, one. Series eight. Holly um, was series two. Yeah, series eight. Holly was series two. <laughs> uh, Lister does get one of them. Next oh, okay, one, fair enough. Which, but yeah, they always make sure that you know. Obviously, Mac is series eight because that's the only one he was a regular. Mm. Chloe is series seven because yeah, you know, obviously. Yeah. But Cat and and Lister, uh, just wherever there was gaps, basically. Anyway. Anyway, indeed. We've litigated the fuck out of Series 3, I think. But just to reiterate, as the final note in my notes document says, my review published 2nd of November, Caps' review published 1st of December. Uh, <laughs> Listen, you can't lose a game you weren't playing. <laughs> Shocking, I know, but uh, 2003 G&T greater than 2003 in Whitehall. <laughs> you heard it here first, everyone. You've heard it here first. I mean, I was good at getting interviews and then wasting them by asking rubbish questions. <laughs> That's what I was good at. And, uh, ho- ho- and you were good at being hosting downloads. threatened with legal yeah. option for hosting illegal downloads. <laughs> Pretty sure Fox took me down. But, you know, that conversation will be more interesting for the next edition of Rediscovery as the release of Series 4 was unlike any other for reasons that we'll get onto. <gasps> I've just remembered time. why. I yeah. just remembered why I owned a, a Region 1 DVD player. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but more on that the next time we go on a voyage of rediscovery. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, if you'd like to talk to us about any of the things that we've said, uh, you can leave us a comment over at www.ganymede.tv 
Or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. We will be back uh, with more Dwarfcasts, um, Smegazines, more rediscoveries, commentaries, whatever we feel like doing, we'll, uh, we'll do those. Uh, so keep subscribed, keep checking Ganymede.tv, and chas always. Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Hit play on Hattie's DJ diary after these bips. I can't remember what the object is that is Hattie's DJ diary. People can't. Traffic cone. Is it? VLC logo. I'm going to say it's the VLC logo just as I looked over as you said it. <laughs> I'm now clicking on the traffic code in order to bring up my VLC. Echoes through the ages. It's not a good commentary unless you have to click on a traffic code. You <laughs> <laughs> and Steve Rogers, the former fan club chairman and Universe Challenge uh, team captain. The former um, uh, America's um, yeah, um, army Former six I'm million dollar man. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, yeah, he's. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm right. But the six million dollar man is Steve Austin. Similar name, Steve Austin. Steve Austin. Yeah. Not to be confused with the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with the wrestler, The Undertaker. Air cool, Steve Austin. Air cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it was modern, it wouldn't have been James Martin, it would have been um, Matt Tebbett. Ah, uh, yeah. Matt Tebbett. yeah. Matt Tebbett sounds like his name's backwards. <laughs> It's the way you tap it. <laughs> That's deep. That is a deep reference. Are you regretting that title? Encounter your speed. <laughs> what, what were you asking that we, is regretted, Danny? I was just saying, do you regret calling it redistributed? Now. No, I, I like I like the, the planet Arium. I, I, yeah, planet Arium. I like how it's just it, it's got like it's so awkward. it's quite clearly the first thing we thought of. I don't know we said that in the first, but like it, it's no, you can't you can't improve on perfection. Exactly, exactly. I like it. Uh, we'll be back with more dwarfcasts on various things, <laughs> magazines, discs, whatever we want to talk about. In future days, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've got no structure anymore. No, we haven't. Like, take Staley Bridge away. What are you left with? Fuck all, mate. <laughs>